The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter. You can find me at uh, CB Caps on Instagram. With Columbia down the way. Oh, that is a distressing noise I just heard, but okay. Um, with Columbia down the way. <laughs> not the repeat. Uh, and the sound effect that you heard comes from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Yeah. Uh, and we are here. There we go. That's wondering. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> I was getting a little, fu- you know, I was, I was pressing all the buttons. I was like, wait, I'm missing something. <laughs> Not a problem. We're going to get it together here tonight. Um, but yes, we are here to talk comics, folks. Um, but before we start the comics, we're going to get into the spiel and it keeps going with that you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. And if you go there on Thursday, and uh, since today is this first day of July, you can go there and find out that um, the, the episodes are up to date, with the exception of uh, this one. Uh, so hopefully, you know, things will be things. Um. But also, you can find this uh, podcast on your podcast place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And, um, yeah, we are... So, we are in a post-Fast and Furious world, first of all, and I'm springing this on, on um, Agent 70 at this at this very moment, because even though we just talked about it like five minutes ago before starting the show, uh, he saw Fast and Furious 9. Yes. Um, um, since it just came out. And I will probably try to repeat this uh, later in the end of the program, but uh, movie protocol is going to be in effect for for next week because Black Widow's coming out and at least one of us is going to watch that. Yes, I mean, I will be in the theaters next Thursday night watching Black Widow. Roddy Cat may be sitting calmly in his home watching uh, Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. So we will have something on that 
uh, soon. Maybe not immediately, but soon. Right. Yeah. Only if somebody spots me for for the, for the premiere, and ain't nobody gonna do that, and I wouldn't want them to. Um, because that's, that's a lot to be paying for that. <laughs> But regardless, going back to the, the to, to the to the F nine thing, I don't know if you want to uh, re- like really quickly, you know, give a give a brief impression. Well, I'll do something very quickly. I was hoping to do uh, Treasury Edition. I may do it solo because it doesn't sound like Roddy Cat's in a rush to watch this movie. No, and uh, I mean, no, that's not the case. I feel like, but it's just a matter of me finding a place to watch it. Sure. So ultimately. I had fun. It's bonkers. It's literally bonkers. There is, they 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 they've taken to trolling themselves in the script in the movie, which is funny. And uh, I'll tell you that there is a, a great unintentional comedy scene with John Cena being the butt of the joke, where literally the entire theater I was in started cackling. You know, it's meant to be played off as like this, you know deeply emotional scene you know there's a it's a deeply emotional beat for the john cena character and uh it's it 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 came off to be so comedic we were just cackling at at his expense it was so funny right you know and i'm not getting into major spoilers here because roddy cat may end up watching this sooner rather than later but i really would like to do a treasury edition to get us all up to speed no pun intended on where we are with the fast and furious fast and furious um uh saga of movies because that's what they're calling it now it's like the uh, the the fast saga uh you know eight was definitely a, a disappointment to me uh nine is definitely i think a bounce back but at the same time they are fully embracing some of the uh the criticisms that the series has, has, has uh, absorbed and taken on, and they they seem to be embracing it. And like I said, there's a couple of times when they're just trolling, you know, some of the criticism in in during the movie itself. You know, it's like a very knowing, you know, it, it was written with a very knowing wink, wink, you know, feel to it. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Gotcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, no problem. Cool, cool, cool. That sounds. Oh wow. That sounds like a plan, or that sounds like a um. That sounds like the move, or that sounds probably what what you want from a fast movie at this point. Um. Cool. In that case, though, we can go on to the the thing we were actually going to talk about first, which is the episode recap for Loki, uh, episode four, number. Well, let's say look <laughs> number nine. Where is number nine coming from? Uh, Loki episode four, the Nexus event, which is the name. I was about to say you still got fast on the brain. Apparently, don't let let me tell you that you know you just have to be a little careful to make sure you don't lose too many brain cells when you're watching Fast Nine. Oh, no. You know you have to go in there, turn your brain off, turn it off. You know there's a couple things you need to have your brain on for, like recognizing car models. No, you know. <laughs> I had, well, for me, I had I had my you know I had friends asking me, is that a charger still? I said, yeah, it's a charger, but it's got a minute a mid engine uh, 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 modification where they've moved the engine from underneath the hood to the to the to the back, you know uh, you know basically to the back seat. So that's like a mid engine uh, 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 revamp of the car. 
So I had to do a little bit of explaining during the movie. And after the movie, when it came to the cars, it de- uh, this is another little mild spoiler. It turned into a Ford versus Dodge thing. Oh, that old uh, between what's that? Oh, that old chestnut. Right, but it, you know, but it's uh, it's it's a little it's it's evident in the trailers, but then you really see it uh, confirmed during you know d- uh, during the film. So. Right. But anyway, we will get to Loki episode four. Yes. Um, and it is, as I said uh, a second ago, a minute ago, rather, it, it, the name of the title. The title of the show is called, uh, the title of the episode, rather, is called The Nicholas Event. This is episode four. And here we go. Um, so... All oh, right, that's right. Um, so we see we, who we assume to be uh, little so Sylvie, who looks more like Lady Loki of the comics, uh, or a uh, a kid version of Lady Loki of the comics, than um, than she actually currently does in the show, because she looks more like the Enchantress, right. and and with dark brown long hair. Mm-hmm. That's what one of the things that threw me. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, exactly. The first is like, wait, is this actually Lady Loki? And this is not even like, no, it can't be. So it's got to be Sylvie. Uh, so you're playing it with a little Viking boat and um, and uh, and uh, her toys uh, in Asgard plainly until she gets swept up uh, and taken by the TVA and the timeline uh, timeline reset. Uh, so she is taken before a judge who is not Ravana. In fact, she's been taken in by Ravana Renslayer. Um. Uh, uh, and to the up to the to the court or to the to the judge, and uh, she promptly bites Ravana on the hand, escapes, and takes her temp pad, and escapes towards the time door. Um, and then I think that's when it goes to the uh to the to the credits, if I'm not mistaken. So this is. We don't know whose flashback it is. Uh, according to this article, they're, they're thinking it's uh, Ravana's flashback. Because, well, and I guess it does, it does kind of make sense because she's uh, pretty much bef- uh, be- going before the great and powerful Oz. Um, it seems like seemingly like, a.k.a. the timekeepers. Um, but then that's when we uh, go to the credits or to the to the title cut. And then after the title cut, we go to um, Ray Ravana coming out of that meeting and talking with Mobius. And then they're discussing uh, the variants. Uh, basically, when um, when Sylvie and Loki uh, invaded uh, the TVA again, and uh, how that much uh, how much trouble they got uh, Ravana in for that, and for letting uh, Mobius even have Loki in the first place. Um, that was the implication of, of part of that. Um, uh, a part of that talk. So, and then they start talking about uh, Hunter C twenty, which uh, Mobius asked about, and apparently we find out that she has been um, dealt with, or at least we've been told that. We don't know. Right. right. We, yeah, we don't have we don't have evidence of that being the case, but we you know that's essentially what uh, Ravana tells uh, Mobius to get. To, to basically uh, move on to the next subject. Right. So that's the case. And then, um, you know, and Moe starts asking questions about that. And then she was like, look, uh, just take care of your thing. Find them. 
you know, don't worry about this right here. That's all I've been taking care of. She lost her mind. She, there wasn't nothing you could do about it, which you could kind of tell she was lying, or at least the audience could feel like some could tell she was lying. But it is what it is. Mobius was kind of went along with it, but he even seemed to have some thoughts. But nevertheless, um, we cut back to Lamentus 1, where after the events of last uh, episode and the all hope was lost, we see Sylvie sitting on a rock and... and uh, Loki walking up to her uh, to apologize of all things, and then they talk about um, um, her memories of Asgard, which you know we kind of saw a little bit of um, in the opening. Um, she, and she says the universe wants to break free, so it manifests chaos, and we, I guess we are led to assume that they're talking about Loki's. Um, so. Uh, and yes, we we couldn't find out that she's the one. She's the kid from the opening, and she escaped, and she spent her life running from timeline to timeline, uh, getting you know trying to get away from the from the uh, TVA. Uh, as she says, she's been hiding out in the end of a thousand worlds, realizing that the death, uh, you know, there's always death where she where she goes. And I guess at some point, I think she even says that that uh, she's like, yeah. She, Every day, everywhere she was going, she realized that uh, she couldn't stay there for long, and then she found out, figured out the whole apocalypse thing, and then just kept jumping from one of those to one of those. So, um, Sylvie asks if Loki, all the Lokis are destined to lose, but Loki disagrees in saying that even if they die, they end up surviving. Um... And then I think he was like pretty much hyped her up and said, "Look at you! You've survived all this long time and all that kind of uh, and all that kind of talk." So, as the planet is pretty much coming, as the planet kind of comes crushing down on around the moon, literally uh, that they're on, because the there was a, you know, the um, the annihilation event for Lamentus One was the nearby planet that was uh, breaking up for some odd reason. We still don't necessarily know. Like it, it printer blows up, and bigger, big, and bigger chunks are starting to hit uh, the moon. So, but at pretty much the last minute, um, we see a big blip on the at the TVA about a Nexus event that signals, and it kind of sort of happens when Loki and Sylvie touch hands. So I don't know if that's supposed to be something that means something. Uh, but for some strange reason, they caused the Nexus event, apparently. Uh, and we still don't know what that is. But regardless, it, it tips off the TVA, and they come to collect them. And, um, and Exactly. Put- yeah, there's something something happened or was about to happen that they that they decided to cut off. Uh, and, and that's what basically clued the TVA into their location. Mm. So we're not sure what it was exactly yet what set off the quote-unquote alarms mm-hmm. whether or not it was someone catching feelings or whether or not it was something else that was happening on lamentus we don't know right although we we possibly get part of that based on the conversation we'll get to in a, in a little bit with mobius and loki we assume or at least that is what we're assuming because we again there's still something that we know and stuff that got got brought up but so they're both taken away they're separated in two different places uh loki is back with mobius uh you know they talk, you know, and they're, um, and um, Mobius is like, well, you want to, you want to quip in your last moments, and then and um, and Loki says something I can't remember, and then 
Mobius is like, yeah, you're an asshole and a bad friend, which kind of leaves a silent sound for him. Almost, almost like it was supposed to be like an moment. Right. Um, before sending Loki into a red uh, t- uh, time portal door, which we found out in a minute what that was about, which this was a cool scene. Um, Loki tells him that the TVA is lying to him before that happens. Um, and Mo- I mean, just, yeah, Loki tells Mobius that the TVA is lying to him. And then Mobius is like, all right, that's it. Throws him, you know, have him thrown through the door. And um, we end up what looks like a room or someplace on Asgard. And we are greeted to a familiar face from the Thor uh, MCU. Mythology. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This was the best part. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of best parts of this episode. I have to say this is one of the stronger episodes of the series. I agree. But at this point, and I'm, you know, we're glad to see her because she is long absent. The last time we see her in the MCU, I think, was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That is correct. Because and she wasn't I in say that, world you know and... who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So it is we... the long absent. This is what the this is how it's described here in this recap that we found uh, care of uh, CBR. Mm-hmm. The long absent Lady Sif, played by Jamie Alexander. Mm-hmm. Indeed, uh, and yeah. we great little time loop prison that we fig- that we find out that Loki has been placed in, where. Uh, she confronts Loki about uh, having cut some of her hair off. Which apparently she, uh, is a thing that is actually happening in mythology. And she, and she basically takes it to him, beats him up, and uh, it happens over and over again, Groundhog Day style. Right. Um... <laughs> Which was like I said, uh, yeah, like I said, it was, it was a fun little thing that happened. Oh, well, not for Loki because you know getting getting um, need in the uh, in the boys. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he was de- he was definitely taking it down there repeatedly and getting punched in the face to boot. Exactly. So I got a real kick out of that. That was pretty fun. <laughs> and so did he. Ha <laughs> ha. Right. No <laughs> pun intended. Uh, I uh, uh, just as a quick side note. I don't know if you follow uh, Jamie Alexander on social media, but I noticed that she posted uh, a quick, you know, a quick note about a quick photo about her um, guest appearance on Loki. So you got to love that the I, I want to say the, the 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 old guard of the MCU are still into keeping the secrets as close to the vest as possible, whereas there's some people, who, you know, like some of the newer folks are a lot freer, you know, their, their, their lips are a lot looser. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> you know? Right. So keep, bear in mind, we haven't seen, uh, as Age of Seven said, we haven't seen her since uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they still have ever, never explained why she wasn't, well, one, killed in Ragnarok or two, showed up in, wait, did she did show up in Thor the Dark World though, didn't she? Yeah, she was in Dark World, but yeah. because S.H.I.E.L.D. came after Dark World. Right. S.H.I.E.L.D. was coming but... out of Dark World. But uh, I believe, she, you know, she's definitely going to be in um, Love, and Love and Thunder. Right. So they're probably going to uh, use that to explain what happened to her during Ragnarok. Right. So, I don't know. She was she's technically bit. not part of the Warriors 3 because, you I know, know, that's where the Warriors 3 bit the bullet. So. Right. But she's all usually 
well, as we've seen on a lot of times hanging around, well, at least in the MCU, we, she was hanging around with him. But I mean, in, even in the comics at times. Um, right. So anyway, um, uh, so this little scene happens a couple of different times, and Loki's on the floor. The whole, um, uh, keeps keeps getting on the floor for reasons, for those reasons. But we cut back to the TVA where Mobius is. Uh, Mobius is in Ravana's office, and I believe they're drinking uh, again. Right. Uh, just, I was about to say, just as a quick coda to that that scene, Loki actually tries to change it. Yes. By by you know confessing that he he's a bad person and that he's done things, you know you know he, he he's done bad things for bad reasons, and it still all ends up as Roddy Cat said with him being beat up and and and, and knocked down to the floor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Mobius asks Ravana to review Sylvie, and she was like, "No, nah, she's too dangerous, and I don't want anything to happen to you." And friend zone, friend zone, friend zone. Um, <laughs> uh. Uh, and until she finally says, "Like, no, you work your Loki. Um, you know, where I will, I will take care of her." Uh, I think no, she didn't say he was dead. Uh, her, she was dead. Um, so, but then we get back to go back to the time cell, and Loki's looking kind of um, out of sorts, obviously, for this, you know. <laughs> for this beating he's been taking time and time again um but Sif comes back into the room he stops her he's like he admits he's crazy attention because he's a narcissist who fears isolation um Sif helps him up and I honestly thought she was gonna do him again and she was just like and she was like picks him up says the thing and then walks away so he did actually change it that time and I think this is when, yeah, uh, Mobius comes in, pulls him back out, and tries to interrogate him again. Um, Loki acts like he's the one that's been pulling the streams for with uh, he and Sylvie um, until Mobius is like, "Oh no, we they, she's dead," uh, and you can see, you know, Loki kind of visibly hurt by that, or seemingly uh, visibly hurt by that. Uh, and then this, I think that's just when uh, Mobius is like, "This is the most narcissistic thing ever. You're, you're in, you're, you are literally in love with yourself." You know, he pretty much says here. Um, but um, um, oh yeah, so that so that whole thing happens, and then he's t- threatened again with the time cell, and Loki pretty much says, um, "Oh no." No, this is yeah. He was threatening with the cell. Then this is when he said he found Sylvia on Asgard a long time ago because obviously he just heard what she talked about it. And then that whole thing with him lo- falling in love with her, with that Mobius was talking about, uh, that he sees right through. Um, and then at the last moment, Loki goes back to, say, to telling telling the truth, which was telling what Sylvia told him is that everybody in the TPA is uh, are is variants. And there's minds of race. Obviously, Mobius doesn't doesn't believe this, um, and throws him back in. So, and then, but before he gets thrown back in, Loki was like, "Yeah, the biggest lie that's being told here is the lies you keep telling yourself." So, talking to Mobius. So we cut to the hallway where B fifteen, who we haven't seen in a second, uh, seems to be having some issues over her, uh, of her own um, internally, which I had totally forgotten about that. Um, uh, Sylvie had uh, enchanted her also. So, 
we will come to find out a little bit of something that out of that in a second. But she gets her component, goes back into Sylvie's, uh, Sylvie's holding cell, and opens up a time door and is like, come with me, let's go. They end up going uh, through that um, while some music plays in the background as, oh, this is the conversation in the, um, in the office with Ravonna, Ravonna and Mobius uh, as they're closing the case out officially. Uh, he asks her again about not being able to in- interrogate Sylvie, but she tries to alleviate his worries by saying that the timekeepers want him uh, present at her pruning, meaning Mobius at her pruning, um, which is not enough for Mobius because he admits that uh, something seems um, as he seems to think that something's off and you can kind of tell it. Uh, she comes clean, admitting that Sylvie made C20 lose her mind which we, I, I'm still believing that this is probably a lie, um, and that she didn't want to risk the same thing, well, at least at the time I was watching this, actually, because we couldn't find out something in a minute. Um, then she also in, insists that friends against time, allies to the end, uh, she says, wait, I don't remember her saying that part, uh, saying that she'll always, she's basically said something about friends, like friendship like theirs is kind of uh, uncommon, so that's kind of a curious line also which I don't think this article says anything about. Um, uh, but Mobius distracts her uh, with um, with her placing this... I don't know where she got that, where they got that from, but regardless, some trophy that she got and swipes her temp pad and then's like, I'm out. I'll talk to you later. And um, Ray Valance like, usually only one drink? And she's like, I'm tired. I gotta go. She's like, okay. Uh, so we cut back to B-15, who takes Sylvie back to Rock's cart, which we saw back in, uh, episode two, and it's out there raining, don't know why they didn't, uh, teleport inside the building, but hey, a good rain, uh, good rain shot is not bad for anybody, I guess. Um, B-15 asks about, um, the, the memories in her, from her past life, and Sylvie basically says, like, like I can't make a, I can't make memories. I pulled them from where they were, which we found out that's part of, um, you know, how she does her enchantments. Um, Sylvie tells her that she's a former variant, and they're, they're actually the same. Which, if you remember, be from the first episode, be what, what happened? Oh, okay. Um, uh, if you remember from the first episode, B fifteen is like. You're a cosmic mistake, Loki. You're a variant. You're, you know, you're, you know, less than nothing. Then come to find out that she's now come to find out that she's a variant, and you kind of see she's like kind of shook by this, uh, uh, by this revelation. So we don't get to see B-15s, but she she sees them, and she was like, I'm, I was, I was smiling then, you know. And even though they're in the rain, you know, you can tell that she's meant to be crying as uh as this is going on and then she asks um as sylvie what now then i think we uh we cut away from that to mobius who goes through uh c20 file on ravana's pad in the library um and I kind of wish I had one of those tempads those things are cool looking anyway uh she sees a scene of her being debriefed where she discusses the memories that she experienced from sylvie and she tells everybody that they're a variant uh, before Ravana leans into frame and stops recording, like almost to the point of putting the hand in front of the camera, like like so like oh, stop it, stop it. But she didn't do that. So Moby sees this; he's kind of shocked, 
uh, and goes back to the time cell, asking Loki to see to asking Loki if he, Loki if he really deserves to be alone. And um, Mobius also admits that uh, he was right that Loki was right about the TVA, and the two are pretty much like, hey, you gotta we can work together, but you gotta trust me. And then they kind of go off uh, to do something. Um, But when they come back through the time, uh, the time, the time cell, they are being met by Rivana and a squad of um, a squad of um, guards. Because apparently she, she recognized that her tempad was missing. Um, And her and Miniman was, Miniman was there, like I said, when, um, when they came out. So Mobius answers a question. She asked him earlier before the, about uh, if if you could go anywhere in time, where would you go? And his response was, wherever it is, wherever it is I'm really from, wherever I had a life before the TVA came along. Uh, and then he gets pruned. So he evaporates. And Loki is like, oh, shit. He didn't say, oh, shit. But he was like, you know, he he clearly had a reaction to the face that, that, that you know, that uh, he wouldn't have wanted that to happen. Uh, then Loki gets taken away um, by the Minutemen and um, says here uh, uh, Sylvia is brought up to to uh, stand up to Loki and they're both all they're being carted down the hall to um, to the elevator to where the timekeepers are are um, to get to the timekeepers. Um, they get to the elevator, it opens up. Ravana's like, I got this from here. Everybody goes into the elevator. All three of them rather go into the uh, um, elevator. And as the elevator is riding up, Sylvie asks uh, what her Nexus event was that brought her to the TVA and set up her new life, her night of on a new course. And Ravana just kind of looks up and like, I don't remember. Classic supervillain, well, classic villain move anyway. Um... So, you know, at this point, Ravana's not on the side of good. Um, the elevator opens up, and they're in the timekeeper's chamber once again, with all the smoke and the uh, the the uh, stairs and all that kind of good mess. So, Sylvie, Loki, and Ravana, and the audience, well, the audience finally get to see the uh, the timekeepers uh, sitting on high on in a... Uh, Kind of much like the Wizard of Oz, in a, in a kind of a way, without the big, big floating head. Um, but they're pretty much sitting on on high, and that's this whole smoke out of line or whatever, and whatever we made the case. Uh, they're both the timekeepers are talking now. I don't know, Age of Seventy, if you caught this when you looked at them. Did they look animatronic to you even then? I didn't really pick up on anything like that. It was a mild surprise to me, but although I doubted that they were actually who we were told that they were, right? It was still kind of a surprise to me, right? Because because when I was as I was looking at them, I was like, why are they like looking like they're and they like and this was before the actual reveal, like like they look kind of robotic or or, or animatronic, like. Like, this is weird. Like, they're not really doing any, you know, much movement outside of the head and some some head movements and some light gestures here and there. So I'm like, that's kind of weird. Um, but anyway, they were both called, uh, Sylvie and Lucky were both called Cosmic Disappointments uh, and ordered them to be deleted. 
Uh, Ravana is stopped by B-15, who throws them a sword uh, before taking on the Minutemen. And we don't see B-15 after this, so we don't. I don't know if anything happened to her. But we know she she doesn't show up anymore at this point. And then it's a, a fight with Loki, Sylvie, uh, these Minutemen, and Ravana. Um, um, you know, just decent, I guess, decent enough fights. But um, Loki's over there kind of kind of trying to handle a couple of them. Sylvie dispatches a, a few Minutemen and then starts fighting Ravana. Um, uh, but Ravana ends up getting punched out. Not deleted, just punched out, which I'm sitting here like, well, that's going to come up on something, clearly. Because <laughs> um, you just left her alive? Like, why would you do that? Um, but anyway, uh, Sylvie uh, takes up one of the sticks. Well, she, I think she already has one of the sticks, throws it at the, the, the middle um, the middle timekeeper's head, which is the one they kind of focus on sometimes, most of the time, and lops off his head. Uh, and as we see the head rolling down like Darth Vader's head in um, in the dream sequence in the in the cave um, <laughs> to uh, in Empire Strikes Back, we come to find out it's an android or some sort of uh, automation. Which, exactly, which means that the the timekeepers here are farce, or the or they're not real. In as Loki says, it keep just keeps going. Um, Right, so this, you know, we're at the fourth episode of this series, mm-hmm. and this is the first kind of big revelation leading us down, you know, leading us to the end of the series. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that they kept this part of the mystery in place up until the fourth episode. Agreed. And, you know, it turned out to be, I think, an effective reveal that leads to more questions and we are literally, you know, we're literally only two more weeks away from finding out how they decide to end this mm-hmm. and where this take, you know, where this series goes or what? Uh, what's that? Or one. Cause they could very well do like, I was like, all right, the, that last episode is like an epilogue or something. We don't know how they're going to end right. this. Right, that's definitely that's definitely a distinct possibility, or it could just be something. It uh, could be a, 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 a similar to WandaVision, where the climax of the episode was really at the beginning. The climax of the show is at the beginning of the sixth episode or the last episode, and then the rest of it is epilogue and aftermath. Yeah. So, but we don't. But know. Uh, exactly, we don't know uh, yet for sure. But as as Roddy Cat said, you know the, the the decapitation of this android leads to more questions, and uh, uh, all right. So where where did where did you leave off? Go ahead. Uh, so we left off with um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. So type of keeper's head is cut off. Um, no blood, no blood, we find out it's an android, and, um, this is still a weird moment for, for me, because I was like, okay, I know something's gonna happen, this is, this is, you should not be here, and this is, should, totally not, this conversation should not be happening at this point. Uh, Loki turns to, I mean, Sylvie's kind of like, well, 
this is this was for nothing because they thought that you know getting rid of them getting rid of get gets rid of the all getting rid of the the one timekeeper that they cut the head off of thought they was gonna thought they were doing something and you know she's kind of put off on that Loki was like um promises Sylvie that they'll figure out what's going on because even he says like I said earlier it was like it just keeps going meaning there's more to this than 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 what's going on uh, or what we've come to find out uh, he. He grabs her and uh, looks like he's about to either tell her his feelings or something like because he kind of stares at her and he's like, I'm not good at this and I don't normally do this. And he just kind of grabs her and kind of brings her closely and as if he's going to tell her something. But then gets evaporated from the back by Ravana with, uh, who comes in to prune him. Like I said, that's, this, was, this was a bad time to have this conversation <laughs> Um, so, and, and I'm sure a lot of people seeing this were like, oh, snap, like, Loki's dead, like, he's gone, um, but, that may, all things are not always what they seem, because, uh, Rivana, Exactly, I was about to say, this is, um, this was a pretty shocking moment for myself, what did you think? Oh, yeah, it was absolutely shocking, like I said, I knew something was going to happen, it was like, if, if it wasn't going to be him, it was going to be her, one of them was going, was going to get pruned. Because like this is too uh, like this is too serious of a moment. And it was like they were having a conversation that was like like again shouldn't have had at that conversation at that exact moment. And she I knew she was still around there somewhere. So I was like I knew something was going to happen, but it was still a shock to see when he just go he gets evaporated. Right. So I'll tell you something funny. Mm-hmm. So this is where the episode ends. Yes. And one of my friends who I went to see Fast Nine with. Did not realize there's a post credit scene. I said, what? You didn't know? Mm-hmm. And didn't find out about it until, you know, we were all, you know, hanging out post Fast 9. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got to watch this. You know, I've got to watch this post credit scene. Don't spoil it for me. I said, okay, I think you, I think that's a good idea. Yes. Just stay off social media for a little while. Right. And uh, uh, so it's something that we've been expecting. You know, and I'll let Roddy Cat uh, uh, go through the description of the post-credit scene. But it's something that we've been expecting. It's a Marvel thing. We also know that it takes them until roughly the halfway point to start putting post-credit scenes into these Disney Plus shows. We've already gotten two examples in WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier where we did not immediately get post-credit scenes until roughly halfway through. So we had just passed the halfway point and we're in the uh, the, the, the second half of the uh, season of the six-episode six season. So it seemed more likely to me than not that there would be a post-credit scene. And lo and behold, we got one. Right, yeah, uh, like, yeah, right. Like, this is the thing that's kind of been speculated from me. Like, people probably were even saying, like, hey, there should probably be one well before now, but, you know, it it is what it is. But, yeah, we finally got one, and it's a good one. Right. I was about to say, I don't think we should have gotten one before this. I think it was just saying some people, some people were thinking that. I, I, I guess, but at the same time, we already have two examples to go off of. True, but I don't think everybody thinks like that. Um, matter of fact, I'm fairly certain the people that I'm thinking of don't think like that. Well, they should change their thinking then. No, because these are not. <laughs> these are <laughs> you're so silly. Like these are people who watch the movies and stuff, but not necessarily comic fans. Also, so you know, they're, right. 
But it seems to me like that seems it seems to me that that is uh, a trend so far. It may not be a rule, obviously. Right. So to get into it real quick, so we can close this out. Um, post credits, well, mid credit scene te- technically because post credit scene would be after every everything. But anyway, um, semantics. Uh, we find out that Loki is not dead. He finds himself on the ground and asking if it is hell, uh, single letter, single L hell, as in the Asgardian hell. Um, and he gets answered by a voice saying, basically, um, no, but come with me if you want to live. Yes, <laughs> very Terminator. Basically. And it cuts to a shot of, um, which was, which was great. A shot of um, some have likened to him being on the ground uh, at the end of uh, Avengers and the team looking down at him. We see uh, a group of three Loki, one young, one uh, classically uh, costumed, and one um, other one that I don't recognize. So there's like three different, basically three other variations of Loki. Well, it's gonna be four technically because there's the alligator I was Loki. Say you left yeah, out yeah, the yeah. fourth yeah, one. Yes. Yes. I was gonna say not one, not two, not three, but four variations of Loki. Right. You know, we get the you know as you said the classic comic book. We get um, kid Loki. A young Loki. Right. Exactly. We get a young kid Loki. We get a black Loki who yes. is kind of. Thor like or kind of I thought I was thinking like more either Heimdall or I guess most specifically like Balder weirdly enough or even Hogan because yes. you know the fur you know like the the exactly the, the fur, fur collar uh, mm. uh accoutrements on his on, on his armor or whatever yes so I I I I wasn't sure who that was and uh and yeah, lo and like behold there hammer. is a fourth Loki right oh, and it a- was yeah, lo- uh, it was a crocodile or an alligator, like a small one with a Loki uh, uh, crown on it. Right. Um, and of course, the the, the uh, from what we found come to find out, we knew Richard E. D. Grant was going to be in this show at some point, uh, and he was the one in the classic Loki costume, which was good to see. It, and it kind of does look silly on screen, but at the same time, it was awesome to see. They also do that on, you know, they're obviously trolling themselves and they're probably making fun of the way the old costumes look, but they could have made that old costume look really good. Right. I but they also put it on an older actor. Right. So they may, they want to kind of poke fun at that. But that was the beauty of it because it, it totally looks like classic Loki. And that, because, you know, that Loki in that costume has always looked a little older in the first place in the, in the comics. I would have loved for them to have been like, him sitting in the, in the throne of Asgard or something, like, you know, just kind of laid there or something, or, you know, or not laying there, just kind of sitting there or something like that. That would have been, like, a classic pose. Maybe they'll do that next episode or something. I don't know. But, um, oh, but also, it's worth noting that uh, they are in the background of what looked like a ruined New York or a ruined city, and I believe you could very well see a uh, oh yeah, oh, it's definitely a ruined. A ruin, it's it's implied to be a ruined New York City because yeah. there's a ruined Avengers Tower exactly. in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then it it ends from there. So, 
It was cool. And like I said, that that was a great um, post grad scene. This the the episode overall was just actually pretty great. I thought, you know. Yeah, I mean, because it's the turning point. It's the fulcrum, you know, where the you know where where the where the 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 season tips, mm-hmm. and the story, you know, basically tips towards. Uh, you know, tips towards going into the home stretch where we're going to get a lot of resolution. I, I knew a lot, I knew people that kind of complained that it was moving a little slowly for them. Yeah, and I said no because it's only six episodes. I, I don't think they were fully aware that it was only six. They they were thinking maybe it was no. eight. Well, let me, well, let me phrase that. The people I know that said that knew it was six episodes, but they was like, I, I did. I'm, they weren't feeling it. Right and up until and, this episode. And what I said and what I told them was you have to wait until the midway point, like the, 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 you know, once the, once, once the midway point passes and I told them wait for episode four and I was right. Well, I pretty much told my people from episodes from, well, I don't even know if they even looked, paid any attention, but I, I pretty much said like, yeah, Lucky's one, not a hero. Two, you can't, you shouldn't really expect action from this, a whole lot of action from the show. And three, things take time to kind of bake and I'm pretty sure once we get to a, you know we get to a certain point there's going to be it's going to explain itself uh, which would be this episode so um, so yeah that's uh, that's that being the case like I said looking forward to and 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 as of that like I know people there's, there's some of these papers like just bring on season I mean bring on episode 5 already you know because now they now you know it quote unquote got to the point as some say exactly and, yeah because because now we have a decent amount of forward momentum right and that seems to be what everyone craves so we have you know we're we're going to be uh, hurtling into episode 5 next week same week as the release of black widow so we're going to have lots of marvel stuff to uh to take in next week. Indeed, indeed, and as, yeah, and as I've said, and as we have said on this show, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, sometimes the journey is good, should be good enough, and not try to get to the end because then you're like, that's all. <laughs> so you're trying to rush to get to the end of something and not enjoying whether where the where the story takes you. It's it's kind of sad um, to me, but you know, I realize that not everybody holds that opinion. That being said, though, we're going to move on because we still got some bunch of stuff to get through, like some comics of the week. And we're going to start off uh, with our comic reviews with uh, Shang-Chi number two. And I'm almost threatening to put title uh, to put what's the comments back up, but we'll see. What's that? I said um, I'm threatening to put images back up again because it looks like we're, we're, there was an update. Um, but Oh, oh to, to uh, OBS? Okay. Yeah. All right, so Shang-Chi number two is written by Jean Luen Yang with art by D.K. Ruan, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So we are in the uh, the second part of this opening story arc that involves uh, th- this this particular issue involves uh, Shang-Chi and uh, Brother Saber going in to infiltrate another auction for bad guys in which they are bidding on something big. And this is not the first auction that we've seen in the last several months, If especially if you follow the Wolverine comic. Or MODOK. Yeah, that's true. There's been a, there's been a couple of auctions uh, in the past couple of months, yeah. 
and it's you know it, it's 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 nothing out of the ordinary in you know in Marvel Comics lore that uh, these things would happen, but it just seems like we just had uh, a big auction in the pages of Wolverine at least. But uh, but but as I said, the, uh, the the story basically starts with them uh, prepping for the auction, and we run into some very familiar faces and characters, namely one Modoc. That's not that much of a spoiler, yeah. but uh, uh, we run into uh, members of Hydra. We run into uh, members of the Hand who are there for one uh, one item that they are uh, trying to bid on, and the numbers go astronomically high. And the item that they're bidding on, and I'm not going to spoil it, is something that is associated with the hero that makes a guest appearance in this issue. And it's not that big a spoiler. He is on the cover, but I'm going to uh, mildly ring the spoiler bell, I guess, because uh, it's a mild, mild spoiler. If you're, if you're listening to the audio version, I should probably put up a way to do this in the video version but if you're if you're listening to the audio version you've already been spoiled at the beginning of this uh at the beginning of this episode before the, the episode starts rather so needless to say that should have gone into the loki talk too but nevertheless that should be implied all the way through this whole uh, program right i mean look <laughs> bottom line if you are listening to a podcast that is literally recapping loki and you haven't watched it yet and you're going to complain about spoilers Man, get out of here with that stuff. <laughs> Just fast forward. Anyway, yes. so we're talking about Shang-Chi number two. And as I said, what they're bidding on is, you know, what these kind of narrow duels are bidding on is is an item that is very much associated with this guest appearance by none other than Captain America, Steve Rogers. It's also a paperweight. And, say again? It's also a paperweight. Well, depending on what universe you're in. Yes. So, and all uh, what I was going to say is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the kit, the, the the kind of the goodie bag kit that you get for Loki has um, uh, one of those, uh, it, it's like a memo cube. Oh, okay. Uh, folding, you know, like kind of post-it notes, yes. like a cube of paper shaped like this. Gotcha. I've already said what I already said that it's a cube. Come on, people. Yeah. So so ultimately there's a there there are a couple of really fun sequences here where uh it's it's Shang-Chi kind of uh making it appear like he's still not completely on the side of the angels, right. although it turns out that he is. But there is some subterfuge and a bit of a double cross at the uh, a, uh, that that ultimately lead this particular item to uh, not be in Cap's control at the end of the issue. Yes, um, yeah, without really going into it, but basically. Um we come to find out. So this, so this, so far, this uh, first arc has been kind of misleading because it's been billed as uh, Shang Chi versus the Marvel Universe. Which, if you think of something like that, you think he's going to be fighting folks and 
he hasn't been so far. Like, he's met up with Spidey, kind of him and the heart around that. He's working with Captain America in this particular episode. Next episode, I mean, next issue might be a little different because of who's supposedly showing up. But, um, like, yeah, it's just him kind of meeting up and teaming up with uh, other folks uh, uh, in the in the universe so far, the bigger name folks in the universe specifically, and I do love I did love the conversation between uh, he and Cap uh, near the end. You know the the mutual respect, you know, because they were Avengers together. You know, not too long exactly. ago. Um, so that was a nice little uh, conversation uh, that that happened. Uh, much to the, the chagrin of uh, uh, Brother Saber, uh, we we will say. But yeah, right, and we're still, we're still getting to learn more about the uh, the, the 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 web, you know, the five weapons family because it's a very new group, and Gene Yang is definitely establishing who these characters are. Right, a lot of this stuff has been teased. Well, it's a new group that's pretty much comes out of kind of sort of baked out of an old group in a way but it's definitely new to comic uh folks now because like i said it's it, right they kind of he kind of re- it, it kind of retcons some some stuff right but the previous miniseries teases some of this stuff right. it definitely there are moments where brother saber has misgivings Especially about the direction the that uh, that that Shang Chi could potentially go in this you know uh, this issue carries on some of the uh, uh, subtle quieter moments that uh, uh, that Brother Saber has when he's expressing doubt more so I guess in this lim- in, in this series it's it hopefully remains an ongoing as opposed to the uh, miniseries prior to this where Sister Dagger was the one who was really um, kind of on uh, Shang Chi's case. Uh, for the most part, where you know Brother Saber was really kind of uh, uh, you know just happy to 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 discover his brother again. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly was the pretty much the very end of that miniseries is when it happened because because uh, like especially with especially the last issue, but the, the last two issues, I would say that's that's when things started to be like, hmm, what's 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 going on here? Uh, exactly. So. But uh, you know, but this has been fun. I, I agree that it's it, it was definitely billed as a as as a versus opening arc, you know. And we're getting we're going to get a little bit of versus Wolverine in the next issue, right? And that so, might turn out to be something along that line, but I kind of doubt it. But we'll see. We'll see. So next up, um, keeping this train rolling, is the United States of Captain America number one. And uh, I can do the thing here. Uh, it's written by Christopher Cantwell, uh, art by D- Dale Eaglesham. Uh, ri- oh, that's right. So that was the main story. And then the backup story is written by Josh Trujillo and art by uh, Jean Baldazua. Uh, color artist is Mac Miller and letters by VCs uh, Joe Caramanga for the whole thing. So, um, we've heard about this. We've even talked about this in the news. So, this is basically a five-issue miniseries where uh, Cap and Sam are going going around the country meeting other uh, Captain Americas. And I know there's going to be a USA agent coming in at some point, but we'll try not to, you know, I'll try not to bristle too much about it. But it starts off 
with a, as I say in my notes, the um, it starts off with a premise that's slightly familiar to anyone who has watched Falcon and Winter Soldier. Because you see Steve, basically we see Steve monologuing in his apartment as he's cleaning the shield. We get to see what he's cleaning the shield with. So, you know, if you ever have yourselves a Captain America shield uh, made out of whatever he's made it out of, there you go. You know what he's cleaning out of. And it's a pretty um, old mixture, by the way. That's beside the point. But I love the fact that they took the time to kind of show it in the panels and showing him kind of going through the motions and making it and you know, going into scrubbing it, but he's pretty much, um, monologuing. Oh, he's been in eternal monologuing about, uh, you know, the American dreams or dreams or what they are. And, you know, his place in, in the stream of things kind of setting up some, a lot of this stuff and, uh, and basically sets up that the shield is supposedly set to belong, go into a museum. Uh, but it doesn't get to that point because he gets attacked by somebody in a captain America uniform and the shield is stolen. And this puts him on the trail of it. And he calls in uh, the Falcon, Sam Wilson, to try to help him out. And um, and then they get into some stuff. And they meet this uh, young dude that is um, taking up the mantle in his own right uh, as Captain America. I believe this is the Captain America of the rails. And also come to find out that there is someone who is trying to kill these other Captain Americas as they found out that there are more than just this one person. And then they end up going on a road trip to find these other people to kind of, I guess, warn and protect them that somebody's out to get them. As well as try to find out who uh, has the shield. Uh, Who they've been trying to chase down the whole uh, whole issue. Who's somebody who has apparently got some speed on him. Because so, at first I was thinking, like, oh, it's somebody like Bratrock the Leaper or somebody. But I think that person was moving a little too fast for Bratrock to be the case. <laughs> I mean, I thought, you know, my, my first my first thoughts were, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's the uh, the Marvel version of a Mazo or something. You know, the super adaptoid. Yeah, maybe possibly so something yeah. that's not something that's not human necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that was my first thought. Um, uh, so we've done recapping that first. Yeah, we're uh, done. Main story. But yeah. Okay. So so I had just a few thoughts and a few questions coming out of this main story, mm-hmm. where it really struck me as curious. It really struck me as curious as to why they were using the the kind of modified, you know, Steve Rogers super soldier costume, and they and they've essentially incorporated the movie uh, helmet into the 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 Marvel comics proper. Right. It was basically the head of Shield. Oh, well, the the Shield uh, cap costume with the helmet on it, as I as I kind of take it, but that or a version of that. But yes, right. Because I mean, essentially, it turns. It, it, essentially, it's you know, in, in a very streamlined form, it's the movie strike uniform. Yes, right. So, so but because it la- what it what it lacks uh, is their red accents right. to the Captain America, uh, you know, like the Steve, the Steve Rogers Super Soldier uniform that he was wearing when Bucky was still Cap, right, and when Sam was still Cap. So. Um, there's some red accents to it, so this is basically all blue. So this is essentially the strike uniform from the movie, and I thought it was a very curious choice. 
So my theory is, because I thought about that too for a second, then I thought about it, because we see the person who takes the shield from him is dressed in a, in a classic Captain America costume. I'm kind of wondering if they just did that to distinguish the fact that, to keep from having to, you know, people from getting confused about which Cap was which when they're, when it, when they're inevitable fights. You know? So they switch, so they switch um, uh, Steve's uniform just to be different. You know, for that reason, and obviously we're going to well, get. Have, I was about to say now that they have something to choose from because, right. if um, if I'm not mistaken, this isn't the first time I've actually read a comic where there was a cap versus cap fight where you know essentially they were equals or 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 um, or not so equal. Um, you know, obviously they're not going to make him dress up as the U.S. agent, right? Exactly. But uh, you know, which would have been John Walker versus Steve Steve Rogers. I'm thinking of wouldn't be Nomad either. Clone? No, what is that clone? There's a, there there and and I'll go into the research while while Roddy Cat basically just covers the uh, the rest of this issue. If there's if there's much, I guess what the the, the backup story does is just goes into the uh, the cap of the rails origin. Correct. That's pretty much. And what's yeah, funny is that he actually he actually is very explicitly inspired not by Steve Rogers but by Sam Wilson. Yes, I noticed that also. And speaking of Sam in this in, in this, I'm not sure how I liked how I mean I kind of hit upon how Sam was being written in this. Like I feel like they were kind of putting a little bit of uh, MCU Sam in, in a ways in this. By the way, because you know because because even when um, at the end of that the the main issues. Uh, and Steve and and Sam were talking, and Sam was talking about, oh well, we're, there's five, um, there's five caps because I'm three of them, you know. <laughs> and then he like, I didn't really get that. I I mean I don't know. There there was just I was like this. I don't recall Sam talking like because that. Because he's worth at least two on his own. I'm like really right dude, exactly. You're it's literally like that, that, you're literally you're literally sitting with the OG, right. And then he's like, yeah, because and then he goes back later on talking about because I'm like 49 caps, you know. Um, I'm saying like Sam don't normally talk like that, so I don't know what what was that about. Like, so I kind of hit upon that myself. Uh, yeah. But yes, but the Capital Reels is definitely was uh, inspired by. As a matter of fact, he even says kind of make an allusion to that in the main story. Because um, mm-hmm. like, Sorry, go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll get to my I'll, I'll get to my little uh, walk down memory lane in a second. Go ahead, finish up. Right, because it couldn't be uh, Hydrocap, or it could be. We don't know, but Hydrocap doesn't necessarily have that kind of a advantage. Right. That that we know that we see during the uh, during the course of this with speed. But anyway, so yeah, there was nothing that said that the, the cap of the rails uh, looks up to Sam and and said in the main story is like, yeah, you fight for everyone, you know. Um. You know, suggesting, you know, maybe suggesting that Steve didn't always, but Doesn't. that's not necessarily, yeah. Right. I'm sitting here like, okay, little snot nosed brat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we can go into the, the, the differences in ideology or whatever. Not saying that Steve has a, a, a very different ideology, but, you know, Steve is from a different time and this and that and other, blah, blah, blah. Right. The thing is, they're trying to develop. You know what? What gets these particular caps exactly. into into the crime fighting? You know, uh, uh, mode that they get into because we understand from some of the news stories that have come out that one of the caps that we're going to be introduced to is inspired not by Sam Wilson nor by Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. but by James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. Correct. So. 
you know, it's that that's just part of it. Right. So the weird thing about the in, in closing about this, uh, the weird thing about the background story that I kind of hit upon, it was like, yeah, we get the backstory into, into this dude. It's like his Aaron something. I can't remember his name. Um, but we get the backstory and how he quote unquote becomes this cap. We don't get the sense that he has had any kind of trainer or anything. And that kind of that right there kind of hit. I kind of hit up on him like, no, we just see his story. And then he just picks up the shield and does, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, puts on the costume and, you know, then he's, he's, he's boom, he's gone. Now it could be suggested. And I don't, I don't remember seeing anything. Did they even suggest as much that he had any kind of fight training or anything? Um, um, it also worth noting that this is a small point. This is not nothing really to brush up on either, but you know, he, uh, he's also gay. So he's, that is the other reason why he said, I think that is the other reason why he was saying that, you know, Sam fights for everyone because we have seen in Cam's run, uh, Sam's run that he kind of did. Um, so, uh, um, that being said, like I said, this, this whole backstory said, goes into, it's just like, yeah, no, this, this thing happened and, you know, he's on the rails and this thing and this thing and now he's Captain America. Uh, of the rails and I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure we're probably going to get a lot of that you know in the in the next few issues yeah pretty much so which is cool i mean like i said it's it's, it's the the premise is kind of neat like they don't need to necessarily oh and like i said sam and uh and and steve and sam are going on a road trip because of this so they can find these folks so i guess and as opposed to flying they're going to do this the, the whole fashion way because because i think the kid did say it's like yeah these other caps are pretty much everywhere um. So, and then at at the end of uh, the issue, you do get like a little report card type situation, uh, where where Steve and Sam are, I guess, talking about like you see a a map of the states and you see where um the 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 capital rail is at this one because that's where they last saw them and you see Steve and, and Sam's notes on, you know, this particular cap that they run into at the end so that's kind of a neat little note also I guess and that's, that's probably going to be another thing that's going to happen during the course of this so yeah let us say if you and this is worth noting that like, this is the thing this is a, a miniseries that comes out of the fact that it's Captain America's 80th uh, anniversary and I think well Marvel's also but they're also what I was going to say they're also covering that gap between the most recent cap run by uh, Tanasi Coates and the next one correct so this is this is basically coming right off of the end of his run and developing or covering that space mm-hmm. and, and and telling the story of these captain america's captains america Seems actually like around the country <laughs> sam i like how sam had to make that point <laughs> in the course of the story um but yeah like i said it's cool it is uh if you're a captain america fan you will probably have already picked it up just just to see what it was or if you call yourself a Captain America fan, you didn't because you found out about this other Captain America and you're one of those people. <laughs> I you tell know, you, part of me, honestly, part of me was, you know, I was just like, all right, so you're inspired by Steve, right? But I was just like, okay, this is just some, you know, writing stuff where they're just like, Cap, you know, this whole generational thing because they've always written Cap before they introduced, the, you know, the other mm-hmm. uh, Caps as you know, constantly, you know, updating. But then again, this cap hasn't been unfrozen for that long. That's kind of the problem. Uh, yeah, you know, 
we all have to understand where where you know this cap with the sliding timeline hasn't been unfrozen for 20 years it might be less now given given how time works in the MCU in the Marvel universe that is I don't know yeah I don't know but but it also makes sense that Steve should not be the only one that's inspiring well that's the whole point of the story right because there are other Captain Americas that heaven forbid there's probably somebody who got um, inspired by by, a US asshole Um, (laughs) that's gonna happen yeah it's gonna be in this we're gonna see one yep we're um, going to see one that, you know, that someone inspired by John Walker for that brief moment in time. Right. Maybe we'll see one inspired by Isaiah Bradley. We don't know. Well, there's only five right. issues. Well, yeah, but right? they might come across so, multiple people during the course of an issue. Right. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll find out. But I think they're going to use, they're probably going to introduce, based on the imagery, the imaging that we're, that we're getting, um, uh, we're, we're going to be, because there's a silhouette that they're using is part of the um, as part of the uh, uh, the trade dress here at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. So it looks like we're getting at least one, two, three, four new caps. Gotcha. At least four. And now that I'm thinking about a, what I just one, said. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and we're getting three. Uh, we're getting at least three. Um, uh, caps, if not four, so we'll 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 see, uh, we'll, we'll see exactly how many new ones we get, because right. that might be a, a a little bit of a deke on their part, because I can see, you know, it's hard to tell exactly how many new caps they're going to introduce. Right, except for we got like fifty one caps, because you know Sam is like for forty nine of them or something like the dumb dumb thing. They if they do them. one for every state, right? It'll be like the uh, the Avengers Initiative. Yeah, basically, and they're not going to do that. They're very much not going to do that. But um, so yeah, that's that. That's the uh, that's that, and that's the case. Like I said, it's something to pick up if you're interested in that. And now that I think about it, what I just said earlier, Patrick still is around, so technically <laughs> there is a one. Um, Inspired by Isaiah Bradley directly. I was about to say, is Patriot even running around anymore? I th- Didn't he hang it up? He might hang. I mean, yeah, but he's still out there. He might have. I think he did hang it up, but he's still kind of yeah. out there somewhere. So, which is a shame. I remember. I I I, I remember this becoming a point of a conversation relatively recently too. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, moving yeah, on. Again, in case we will go to another book. Um, pick a book. Oh, no, we said we were probably going to go to X-Factor. That's right. X-Factor number... Pizza Rap Hellfire Gala. Yes, X-Factor number 10, which is the last issue of X-Factor. Yes, so uh, the story here is actually credited to both Leah Williams and David Baldion, who's been the artist on the book. This issue is written by... What? I said that gets explained in the letters page. Oh, yes. Uh, written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion, David Messina, and Lucas Wernick. Colors by Israel Silva and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So I have not been keeping up with X Factor, admittedly, mm-hmm. and I only picked this up because I uh, I had seen a, a, a note that something was going to happen involving, and big spoiler alert now. Yes. So I'm going to ring the bell. 
so from here on in, we are talking at least mild spoilers for what happens in X Factor number 10. But getting back to what I had seen coming into uh, the Hellfire Gala and some of the solicitations, it was teased that there was going to be a murder on hand uh, in issue 10 of X Factor. I did not know that it was going to be the last issue of the series until, I believe, a month ago. Right. So when this issue was originally solicited, I don't think they made it clear that it was the last issue of the series then. But they did tease that there was going to be a murder at the end of the Hellfire Gala, which was going to, I guess, spark off the next set of stories in the X-Men corner of uh, the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So, But before we get to that, which is literally the cliffhanger, not, which is literally the cliffhanger page and uh, a panel just before that. Hmm. Everything leading up to that, though, is uh, a bunch of snippets from the Hellfire Gala that we have seen from other points of view and other angles and perspectives in separate issues of the Hellfire Gala, in separate issues of X-Men comics that have covered the Hellfire Gala. Right, but also it is tying up um, um, a loose end, a, a, a thread of a storyline that kind of, especially in the last uh, few issues, uh, um, kind of been kind of pointed upon, but not necessarily gone into as much uh, with Prodigy and the um, the resolution about his uh, what happened. Okay. About his death. So that, right. So I was unclear about that. So I did not realize that that had been an ongoing story. Yeah. That, that's I mean, the thing you could definitely pick this up. You could pick this issue up and see that uh, there was something going on mm-hmm. with the character surrounding his uh, his uh, rebirth under the Krakoan protocols. Yeah. And back, yeah, that's the thing. That's it's been pretty much a thing that's been like touched upon here and there th- throughout the whole this whole volume. So, which I mean, granted, it's only ten issues, but yeah. So, um, but that kind of wrap gets wrapped up because as we see the events of uh, the Hellfire Club, uh, uh, the Hellfire Gala go off as from like Agent uh, Seven said, uh, Prodigy's kind of looking into this because he gets um, gets a clue about it, and apparently he comes up comes to find out that you know he is as smart as his name suggests because he did it without he even knowing it um he so he pretty much set up uh in a memento like fashion uh send up a sent out if you know that movie um you'll know what i'm talking about um um but anyway if you don't know that movie go watch it's pretty good um um one of nolan's better movies that's not batman anyway well, his earlier movie, I should say. Regardless, whatever. Uh, he left some clues for himself prior to his death uh, because, as he says in the book, uh, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he felt like something was going to happen. So he pretty much set up um, set up a thing to where he would find out the missing block um, of his memories from that would happen due to the resurrection protocol should something happen to him. Uh, in the situation that he was in, and we come to find out that it was a it was a not a great situation because apparently, um, well, I won't spoil it, but he got into he pretty much came upon a thing and got into a thing that got him killed by a very not good person, uh, and this pretty much wraps this up without uh, 
you know, it wraps it wraps it up and kind of uh, puts a point on it uh, before going into uh, the cliffhanger. Uh, which I thought, because because going into this issue, I was like, okay, yeah, so this is a, I knew this was like I said, I knew this was the last issue, and everything was looked like it was being wrapped up nice and neat, and again, we see the Hellfire Girl and all that kind of good stuff, and then, in almost like an end credit scene fashion, it just kind of, well, this uh, that's not true. Um, it kind of pivots to the end of the gala and what we kind of find out with um, uh, him, you know. Speed, human speed being uh, reunited, which I was like, okay, that's still kind of weird to be in there, but then goes into what ends up being the cliffhanger uh, that actually has something to do with speed <laughs> uh, in a very direct, indirect way. Uh, because, as Agent 70 said, the, there is a murder that, in, that was teased that happens, that we've come to find out uh, that happens, well, not happens. But we kind of find out that has happened at the end of this issue, and it is someone that pretty much folks from the MCU and the, the Marvel universe at large would know, especially the mutants, or yes, especially the Krakoans. In no uncertain terms, do do they not know this person? Right. Uh, it definitely it, caught me by surprise. Yes. Uh, but although it was definitely. And and what Roddy Cat and I were talking about just prior to the show was that while it caught us by surprise, it helped put more context into something we read in last week's uh, what was it, Way of X? Was it? Or I mean, one of the one of the chapters of the Hellfire Gala last week. Yeah, it was something we read, and I was trying to figure out what that was. In fact, I'm kind of looking now because I don't think it was Way of X because I didn't read it. Um, it must have been uh, sword, sword, right? It would have it had, had to, to be. Been. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna flip through it again right now sword because I'm pretty. Six. Yeah, because at the end, I will, will without going into it too fast. At the end of sword, there was a um, there was a conversation between two people, um, familiar to each other and to all of us, um, that seems strange at the time well seems strange well not necessarily strange but i think what was set up and what was what their discussion covered right I that think part seems strange definitely changed right definitely changed what we were how we thought about these two characters and what they would what how they would possibly be moving forward right. from that point and in this book we see that that definitely took a different turn than we were expecting. Right. In fact, like I said, this put kind of puts a point on that conversation. We still don't know the details of the here to there or from there to here. Um, but that conversation slightly makes more sense, you know, in, in a, in a speculative sense, uh, than it did when we, when we came across it, I'll say that. Uh, it was actually a touching moment then, but you were thinking like, "Oh, they're making it. They're you know they're making men. Since there's nothing other, but come to find out that there might be there was definitely more to it uh, that we even still now don't know. Um, and I guess we will find out in this next arc, um, which is also a plays on an old arc from back in the what was that a '90s arc? Uh, was that a late? Yeah, was it a late '80s or '90s arc? For the, What's that? For the trial of Magneto. 
early 90s, maybe late 80s. I want to say, yeah. That, no, I feel like that was a lot say, in the late 80s. I want to say late 80s now yeah. because I, that was... Because um, I can see the miniseries. X-Men Aven- that was an X-Men Avengers exactly. miniseries. And like I can see the covers on it. I just don't remember when it was. So, yeah, um, it, was, it was a Mark Silvestri mm-hmm. art on that. So, yeah. But regardless, that's what we're going into now. And like I said... The, if this was an interesting way to wrap up this book because I guess it was kind of one of those things like oh you wouldn't think they were going to just wrap it up all nice and neat and let it you know let it let that be that no it's got to be something to kick off something else and that's what happened um so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing the details of how from the there to here and where it goes because I'm kind of curious as what the, what they're going to be going for for doing this at you know for doing this right because it seems like it's running in parallel to what uh hickman has been setting up as to maybe how krakoa ends up you know coming to an end dissolving yeah so we'll see yeah maybe maybe um but that being the case um maybe one more before we um go wrap it yeah, I was about to say we're running a little long, so we should probably uh, get to rapid soon. So, Bill or Widow? What's that? Bill or Widow? Um, how about Black Widow? Okay, Black Widow right, number Black, eight. Yeah, Black Widow number eight. Uh, it's written by Kelly Thompson. It's penciled by both Elena Casagrande and Rafael De La Torre. With inks by Elisabetta D'Amico and Rafael De La Torre, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So this is not a surprising uh, potential click of the week for me because I have been enjoying um, uh, uh, the heck out of Kelly Thompson's Black Widow mm-hmm. for for a while now. And, you know, this issue has a lot of really great little twists uh, involved in it. Uh, You know, there's a repartee here between, um, you know, uh, we we don't want to use her her, her not so cool. Actually, I'm thinking of another book um, where where they could have used the same nickname. But... um, you know, we have uh, uh, some some uh, some coffee being shared. Or, you know, so, uh, you know, cups of coffee being 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 shared outdoors by uh, Natasha and Yelena Belova, and uh, Natasha still kind of hung up on the events of the previous. Uh, you know, uh, the first arc of this Black Widow book, mm-hmm. and you know, they're looking for a fresh start in San Francisco, and that has been the. Uh, the focus of the second arc and uh, the guest star that has been brought in um, for this arc is you know plays a large part in this issue where uh, this spider character is uh, trying to get some more spy like skills uh, into her repertoire and it, it kind of goes badly and it kind of doesn't because ultimately what we're dealing with here is this um, underground ring that has the ability to grant uh, superpowers to uh, some runaway types. But uh, unfortunately, these uh, 
powers come with very bad side effects. Mm -hmm. And that is the crux of, you know, uh, of their mission. And things go, you know, go badly for Yelena Belova here where uh, Natasha has to come, uh, come to her rescue while they're busy investigating this, this particular ring. And uh, we have a, a, a tough, a tough look for Yelena Belova as part of the cliffhanger ending of this book. Right. So two things to note real quick is that one, uh, they also, uh, Natasha also enlisted the help of one Anya. Uh, well, that was the spider person I was, I was mentioning right. without spoiling it yeah, just I mean, so that, yeah, well, uh, I can mention that, you know, it's like, cause we hadn't seen her in a while and it's not like it's, she's doing anything that's, you know, she didn't get killed or anything. So, um, but, you know, it was always good to see. But the thing, I bring that part up because it's been a while since I've seen her. And I was like, wait, I don't remember. Spider-Verse. Well, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Spider-Geddon. Spider That's where she's been last. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but again, I didn't read Spider-Geddon. So that was, that's, whole, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but I feel like I've seen her come up someplace else. Uh, probably spider Oh, wait, yeah, because she's in the, the web of the order, the order of the web. So that's actually the last place we saw her. Not Spider Geddon, actually. Well, that's from um, recently the uh, the Amazing Spider Man stuff when um, right. The, but that all, but but all that stuff is um. Wait, Order of the Web was that? I want to say they 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 kind of they kind of formulated parts of that during Spider Verse and Spider Geddon. They did, but, but I think. Right, but I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is the last place that we see her. Yeah, because she she's definitely with them uh, when when they're trying to help Peter out with um, with uh, the whole Kendra situation. So, and I think this is what that might have been when they cemented that name. It, it was just uh, the reason why I was bringing it up like that. Regardless, the um, I don't remember if her webs. I thought her webs were not like from shooters. Um, because when because when I saw her shooting out the webs, I'm like, wait, those are web shooters. What is she doing with those? You know, because maybe I was thinking she was like Julia Carpenter's old webs, and they were psionic or something. But I don't I don't know if that was the case or not. But regardless, I'm, I was, not, I'm not familiar enough with her character to be exactly. able to tell you. And and that was the thing. I was like, I don't remember it was what was the case on that. So, but it was kind of a thing that that was kind of curious to me in this. But regardless, like Age of Seven said, everything else was uh, what it was, and Yelena's in a bad spot at the uh, end of this um, at the end of this uh, issue. So, which also brings me to my second point was that not necessarily we don't know what's going to happen with this, but. There is an article in the show notes that uh, from I can't remember who uh, what uh, what site talking about Marvel killing its characters off, um, before uh, before or before or around the MCU, you know. So um, I don't know if they're counting Yelena as that because we know Black Widow's coming next week. Uh, we don't even know if she's dead actually. Um, or, or if anything happened to her, that would, you know, that would take her permanently off the board, I should say. Um, but, you know, there's been a couple of events that uh, that we have come to find out about that they're doing in the comics that um, seems weird, given that some of these characters that they're killing... Uh, and, matter of fact, Wanda from... Oops. <laughs> what's, what's going on with Wanda? I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
you know that they're that they're doing with um ahead of them being in or around the their next EMCU showings I'll say that so but if that's something you're interested in you can check that out uh, right. that it seems said, to be maybe a, a little bit of a goof by I don't think this is Elena Casagrande I think this is Rafael de la Torre's uh shift on art mm-hmm. Uh, these uh, these uh, these pages that you know that, that involve uh, her action sequences. Right. She's supposed to have organic webbing, and it does appear like. Well, it's really in one panel where it appears that she's got web shooters. Yeah, she's visibly has um, shooters in a panel in a panel. So. In one in one panel, but in still, the other I mean, panels, it's not clear. Right, but I mean, you know, given action, that's that's you know big, but. The fact that they show up in the first place doesn't mean like it wasn't like she was just going to use them for that one panel and then just get rid of them and then use. Them no, no, I'm just saying it. No, that's not my point. My okay. point is in terms of uh, art mistakes. Sure, but you know, I'm not but, talking about like whether or not it makes sense that she will get rid right. of them. Right. The but, point is somebody flubbed and an editor missed it. I don't know if it's a flub though because it's not like they don't necessarily have to show like they show them once and like all right, you know they're there and you know it's not like they have to show them all the time kind of situation. So no, but the point is to have organic webs. That's, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, that's why I'm saying it's, it might be a mistake. Hmm. So, you have confirmed that she's supposed to have organic webs? At least according to the fandom.com page. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, then, then that being the case, then that's, yeah, maybe that was a flood that's or something. I, yeah, that's what I was getting at. I was like, yeah. no, I think, I think she's supposed to have organic webs, so I think this might be just a, mis- uh, a mistake in terms of the art. Okay. Right. Well, because it, it, it's uh, it's weird that they would equip her with these, you know, on a one-time basis when she's supposed to have them organically. Right, and I don't know if that would like. Oh wait, she's <laughs> organic webs. We know who this is. Like you know, like you know, like I don't know if that would have made a bigger tradition. I don't think they've even explained why why one way or another. But <laughs> it is what it is. Maybe we'll find out something next issue if they decide to do that. Uh, but we're going to go into rapid fire at this point. Oh yeah, rapid fire. What to do? Is there sports ball going on? All right. I was about to say you go ahead because you've got a lot more to cover. Uh, that's not Marvel. Sure, I can do that. Because, because um, I've got some of the other Marvel stuff that we have in common. I don't think we did all of them. Uh, yeah, there's a, I think I have a couple that we got in common, but yeah, you're right. All right, fine. Uh, Transformers Beast Wars number five is my first one, written by Eric Burnham, uh, art by Josh Burcham, and letters by Jake M. Wood. So, basically, Dinobot tries to join the Maximals, but not exactly in the way that he did on the show. Uh, Although they did kind of allude to it in a a passing note or two. Uh, Although, um, Nix tries to find out why why he saved her uh, while he's in in their holding cell, but as this is going on, the Predacons attack uh, and kind of similar like the show, uh, the Maximals are outnumbered, uh, but uh, at the end of the um, 
well, they're outnumbered but hold their own. And, uh, of course, someone ends up joining the fray uh, at the end of the issue. Uh, it was a good book. I like it. You know, it's... Um, can't remember if this is... A, I think this is an ongoing. I don't remember. Um, and if... Sorry, I'm trying to trying to type and do this and talk at the same time. Sometimes it don't work out all that well. Um, but yeah, it's been enjoyable so far. It is definitely a kind of a retelling and not necessarily going by the by the shows. So that is one thing to note if you plan on checking this book out. But it might be worth your time. I don't know. It's been cool so far. Uh, Teen Titans Academy 2021 yearbook number one. This is. Uh, I'm only going to say a couple of the couple of the um, um, the um, credits on here because basically Tim Sheridan's writing the whole thing. There's like four or five uh, short stories in here, uh, but art's being done by uh, a couple of different people and lettering and everything else. And it was a lot of folks on this one. So uh, so Tim Sheridan's writing, uh, Bernard Chang, Marco Santucci, and Darko Lafuente is doing, is doing art on this. And then there's other people doing. Um, uh, other things uh, on this book. So, as the name would apply, this is a series of um, short stories. Uh, I guess it's kind of an airing, I'm not even sure, but basically it's in a yearbook type um, uh, format and there's uh, stories that are revolving students around uh, around students of the Teen Titans Academy, and it starts off with like uh, Stitch, which is this newer character uh, running for class president um beast boy and raven doing a little dinner date uh you know as time is stopped uh and she has visions of a a future estate thing you know uh red x has a story where he's uh, um busting up a a foster care ring for that uh, black mask is is um uh headed out so that's pretty much that that's some decent stuff um in here it's a you know um, worth checking out if you're reading Teen Titans Academy, I would say. Uh, Green Arrow 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular number one, which is a lot to say. Um, and this is also an anthology, or this is also pretty much a, uh, as the name implies, it's an 80th anniversary special. There's a bunch of little short stories and, and um, little other pages in here surrounding Green Arrow. Uh, there's a couple of notable stories um that are kind of neat, like, um, pretty much includes the, what seems to be the birth of the boxing glove arrow. Cause you know, that has to make a, uh, an appearance in a green arrow book. Um, um, and, um, you know, mostly, most of the stuff is around green arrow. There's some stuff that, you know, um, uh, Arsenal slash Red Arrow slash Speedy, whatever you know, Black Canary kind of shows up in a couple of stories, um, and so it's pretty much around uh, centered around Green Arrow uh, and his, you know, his ties. Um, but some some cool stuff. And the last story is a uh, wordless story that is pretty much about uh, the life of Denny O'Neill, who has passed. And uh, that one's a cool one. I believe that is a with there's a, a story on the there's a story in the um, in the news talking about. The, I believe you can also read that on DC's site somewhere for free. Uh, also, right now. So, 
if you're a fan of Green Arrow, you can check that out. Uh, next up, as um, hey Cammy, uh, let's see. Next up is where's my notes? Uh, Avengers Mech Strike number four, and I believe you said you had not read this, correct? Agent seventy. Say again? You have not read this, uh, Avengers Make Strike? No, uh, I skimmed it. Go ahead. Skimmed it. Okay. So, uh, writing the, the creative team is Jed McKay, art by Carlos Magno, uh, color artist uh, Guru EFX, and uh, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So, when last we were here, um, Thanos showed up, but not. Well, a time displaced Thanos showed up, but and now he's helping the Avengers against uh, Kang. And uh, I don't think he gets a cool mech suit, so that's that. Um, and the team kind of gets this one last ditch effort to uh, t- try to defeat Kang using Thanos's help, and they pretty much enact that plan. And um, an Avenger thought lost comes back at the end in a, in a much bigger way than he, than he was um, going into this. So, this was a nice little, little cool thing so far. I'm curious to see how this ends up um, because it's only a five-issue miniseries. So, um, the next issue should be it. Next up, uh, Beta Ray Bill, number four, which I believe you have read. Um... Writ, write, bleh, writing and art is being done by Daniel Warren Johnson, color artist by Mike Spicer, letters by G, uh, VCs Joe Sabino and Daniel Warren Johnson. And I believe that is it. So, Bill and his crew find themselves in another predicament uh, after breaking through the barrier from last issue. Uh, Bill relieves some old uh, memories as he and Scott uh, fight through the ship to, uh, to try to find everybody uh, while they're stuck in this thing that they're stuck in I guess uh, but they end up getting out of that and they end up finding the Twilight Sword but of course the person you or the the entity you would expect to show up um, in dealing with that particular sword shows up at the end of this book yeah that wasn't a big surprise at all yeah not at all but <laughs> of course it wasn't going to be that easy um, let's see and actually that is it for me. Yeah, that's my last book. So go for it. All right. Now I'm now I'm actually going to start with something uh, that annoyed the heck out of me. Okay. Uh, and now I remember why I don't recall this order of the web business that well because it's part of the kindred stupidity. That's what yeah. Or saying that really bad uh, under uh, Spider Man's. Uh, uh, the the Nick Spencer Spider Man run, <laughs> and we're rapidly getting towards the end. It, to me, it won't end soon enough because some of this stuff has gotten a little out of hand with what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, everything seems to want to end with these stupid one shots. Where I don't know if it's like a, a, a money making thing or they just need to get his stuff done as soon as possible, so they don't want the milk. What's that? I think that's more the case. They they just want to finish it as quickly as possible, as opposed to stringing something out in the monthly books. So I'm going to talk about Giant Size Amazing Spider-Man: The Chameleon Conspiracy Number One. Uh, this is 
basically written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson, uh, much like the monthly book uh, with pencils. And 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 I've had I have I had a lot of problems with this issue. Hmm. Uh, all, part of it is art too. The pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos and Aguara. Inks by Wayne Foucher, Carlos Gomez, Zig Carlos, and Guara. Uh, colors by Andrew Crossley, Maury Hollowell, and Rochelle Rosenberg. And letters by VCs, Joe Caramagna. So the problems I have are multiple. Or, you know, they're, they're ten, you know, it's just bad. So, uh, you know, we, we were coming off of the revelation that a character that we thought had been killed in the Spider-Man versus Wolverine one-shot way back when is is alive again. Are, are you are you up to date through that? I'm familiar. No, but you're up to date through that issue, like the uh, essentially the last regular issue before this book. Yes, 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 yes. Like last week, two weeks yes. ago. All right, so so you know I'm I'm still trying not to spoil it for the people listening, but that character is back and plays a, a, a halfway decent sized role here. But the bottom line here is that this is the capper to this um, latest story that has several aspects to it uh, involving the chameleon. Obviously, it's the chameleon conspiracy. And it, and there's uh, the complication of this clairvoyant device that uh, Peter Parker's lab partner uh, creates. And uh, there's a lot of moving parts in this uh Obviously, with uh, some of the stuff that Spencer has been setting up with Teresa Parker coming back into the story, um, it, it's explored uh, to a great extent here. There are teases of whether or not uh, Teresa is who she thinks or claims that she is. And uh, I guess my biggest problem with this issue is that the art, because of the, the multiple artists trading art duties just is not consistent at all and there are really rough transitions in a couple of spots here where you can definitely tell that one artist was not on the same page as the next one that took over in the next sequence Mm -hmm. and that's just disappointing and it's tough to look at it's tough to read because you're like wait a second spidey was spidey was literally humping this big piece of machinery on his back with the use of his wedding in one pa- webbing in one panel and it's gone in the next but then it's back two panels later what's going on here uh but yeah part of it is just spencer's you know i i've just been very disappointed with where spencer has gone because it started out with a lot of promise and this kindred storyline and and this kind of overall arc that he's been trying to take Spidey on has just been very disappointing to me. So that's one reason why I, I probably blocked out in my head this whole order of the web business mm-hmm. uh, being the last place that we saw um, Sp- the new Spider-Girl or the current Spider-Girl, Anya Corazon. So, um, you know, that's what got me so annoyed. I was like, why don't I remember that? Oh, because it's Nick Spencer Spidey. So... That's annoying. So I'm, I'm really just I'm waiting for this to end. Um, you know, whether or not I decide to jump into this whole beyond business uh, once this kindred stuff is over is beyond me. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, next up is uh, Black Cat Annual number one. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Joey Vasquez, colors by Brian Reber. And letters by Ferran Delgado. There is a backup story, and that is where the Infinite Destinies stuff 
kind of comes in. That's also written by Jed McKay, but with a different art team. I will uh, flip to it when I can. But ultimately, in this issue, what we don't get in this issue is what I thought we were going to get, which is another tie-in to a human that has been bonded to an Infinity Stone or Infinity Gem, uh, as it used to be known in the Marvel Universe. But we get a really contrived team-up, but it makes sense. McKay makes it make sense between Black Cat and the previously teased Tiger Division. We had heard of the name, but we had not yet seen the members of the team. We had seen that uh, the White Fox was the leader of Tiger Division. We had been uh, introduced to Taeguki, which is the character who was like wearing the Korean, the South Korean flag on his uniform. But, uh, you know, and we learn more about him over the course of this issue. Uh, we get introduced to the remaining members of uh, Tiger Division. We do get a guest appearance by Luna Snow in this. Uh, she, I guess, is like a, an honor or, or I guess a, a, a transient, a more transient member of uh, Tiger Division. She comes when it's absolutely necessary, but she's not like a, a full time member of their roster. But... Ultimately, we get a really uh, interesting caper that uh, Black Cat is brought in to be a part of, and the characterization is great. You know, McKay really knows what he's doing when he's writing uh, uh, Black Cat, and the voice is spot on. Obviously, he's the one writing the regular series. There are a few weird moments with uh, White Fox. But at the end of the day, we have not seen that much of White Fox to begin with. So this is just another entry into her, uh, into her, into what will become her history and 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 adding, I guess, language to her lexicon so that uh, future writers will will see uh, this and maybe build upon it. But uh, yeah, the 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 point of this opening story. I'm really not sure how it ties into the Infinite Destinies uh, kind of overarching, uh, over uh, you know overarching story for these annuals. The backup story with uh, uh, Nick Fury is uh, a little bit more closely tied to the Infinite Destiny storyline, and we are teased um, with uh, a mystery. With a panel teasing a mystery guest star, I guess, in the next little backup story. Um, the credits on this are Jed McKay writing it, Juan Ferreira's art on art, and uh, VC's Joe Caramagna doing the lettering. So that is Black Cat Annual number one. Next up is Eternals. Oh, uh, let me go in alphabetical order. Daredevil number 31. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with pencils by Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, and co- and colors by Marcio Meniz. So, the story of uh, Elektra taking over the uh, mantle of Daredevil continues, as well as the story of Matt Murdock uh, doing his bid in the uh, the Marvel version of Rikers um, continues. And uh, actually, no, it's not Rikers. I apologize. Because uh, the, the what's been revealed in this is that the warden 
has a grudge against uh, Daredevil and he's looking to uh, have Daredevil killed by any means necessary in the prison and setting him up for uh, continuous assaults uh, has gotten him into a couple of messes. But at the end of the last issue, we find that he has um, defeated the latest attempt on his life and it has gotten him some respect amongst the uh the the prisoners and they are laying off him for now but his one friend in the prison block is trying to get uh matt murdoch to see that he can't continue to uh act the way he's been acting unless you know because it's going to invite uh more problems from the other prisoners um as uh, i may have mentioned in previous issue in previous episodes of uh the show in previous issues it's been teased and now set up that Electra may be trying to bring on a protege, but that doesn't exactly go well um, at the end of last issue. And so there's a bit of a falling out between the two in this issue. Uh, so that leads Electra on um, a mini rampage as she's letting off some steam as a result of this falling out. And uh, we fall, we also find out that uh, one of the, one of the long-standing Daredevil, one of the long-standing members of the Daredevil Rogues Gallery, has uh, has popped up after falling a bit off the radar over the last several issues, and that uh, that particular character has been brought in by none other than Mayor Wilson Fisk to try to handle the Electra slash Daredevil problem, and that is going to be where this issue or the next issue uh, picks up. So um it it's um if you're not necessarily keen on reading Electra's development as a character as a as a character in the mold of Daredevil I don't know if you're going to be that interested in reading this book it seems to be uh taking its sweet time uh uh going through this particular storyline I I found myself losing a little bit of uh, focus on the story in this issue, but you know, that just might be um, that just, that just might be a, a symptom of just, you know, waiting to see where this goes because seeing Matt Murdock in prison seems to be taking forever. You know um, you know, it, it seems to be uh, Zdarsky's playing uh, the long game in this regard. So, you know, we, we're just going to have to be patient and see how this all develops. Uh, next up is Eternals number five. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Isad Rabich, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So I don't know if it's been revealed that this may be a, a, a limited series. I was under the impression that this was an ongoing, but this is just based on my own uh, the readings of the most recent uh, Marvel previews and looking at the solicitations. And I actually just got uh, the most recent previews in physical form. And uh, I didn't have a chance to really look through this, but I don't think there is an, an issue of Eternals in here at all. And I remember looking at these online thinking that... Uh, uh, wow, I'm surprised that Eternals is taking a two-month break unless Eternals is ending with issue six and no one told us. Hmm. I don't have any information on that, but 
ultimately the mystery that has been teased over the first four issues of Eternals is finally revealed. The um, the uh, the the person behind what has been happening in the first four issues is revealed here in episode five. In in, in issue five, it's, it's revealed that there is a a traitor in the midst of the Eternals, and it's not who you think it is. It's most definitely not who you think it is. There are some easy, obvious candidates, but it's not who you think it is. And that is what's revealed here in this issue. And we're going to get some resolution to that in issue six, which is why I'm thinking maybe they cut it short. I don't know for sure. I'm going to uh, do some more digging online to see if they have ultimately cut this series into or created the series into uh, you know, made the series from uh, a regular ongoing into a miniseries. So that is Eternals number five. Yeah, I was. Uh, I don't remember. Um, I was also under the impression that it was an ongoing, but yeah, we, they don't really. They're not really upfront with. Well, there are in cases sometimes with that. Right, yeah, it's a but, sometimes thing. Yeah, but sometimes it's like, like yeah. You know, sure. Yeah, like we know for a fact that the next Miss Marvel is a miniseries. Right. We know for a fact that the current that the uh, the previous Shang Chi series was a miniseries. So, you know, it's 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 definitely, um, you know, if they know for a fact it's going in as a limited, then you know they they're upfront about it. But if it's a sales based decision, then you know they they're obviously not going to tell us right away. Right. And that's it for me on my rapid fire. Clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. Uh, we don't have one for our um, from our other um, co-hosts. So, what you got? <clears throat> I am between a couple of books. I really enjoyed Black Cat Annual number one for uh, the back and forth between Black Cat and White Fox. Um, I really did like Black Widow number eight, other than what I think is a little uh, mistake by Raphael De La Torre when it comes to drawing Anya Corazon in this. Um, I honestly think that was something that the editor missed. But um, uh, I thought the story... You know, execution was really good. There's a great Elena Casagrande action sequence in this, like a two-page spread. And she's really, uh, you know, kind of gotten uh, some notoriety from this Black Widow book for doing that. Right. And I can tell you what's not a pick potential, cl- potential click of the week. That's a giant size, amazing Spider-Man chameleon conspiracy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, yeah, I am probably going to go with Black Cat Annual number one as a surprise pick. Hmm. Okay. Which, you know, as we have said uh, a few different times, Black Cat is usually on the top of um, uh, one or both of ours um, picks for clicks. Um, So, not that big of a surprise. Um... But there you go. Uh, for me, I think I'm actually going to go with uh, X Factor number ten. Um, Beta Ray Bill was actually pretty good. 
also um I, I enjoyed that the the green arrow one was um you know was, was all right for what it was um but yeah i think i'm gonna go with uh x factor you know i hate to see the book go but you know it's not like the characters are going anywhere because um i believe it, even as they say in the back of the book um one of the decisions for uh part of it well they talked about Lorna going to the X-Men who's been a part of this book. So that would change the dynamic of this book. Um, and we do know like in other cases, like rogue uh, from Excalibur is going to be on the X-Men, but I think that book might still be going. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, you know, it's a situational thing, I guess. I don't know, but, um, but regardless, uh, it was a, I guess, it was a pretty good ending and a good start to the next arc of uh, whatever the hell's going on in the X corner of the universe. I was going to say it was a tough read for me, but I haven't been keeping up with yes, uh, Factor so. because they really, they really, like you said, they really uh, kind of tied up that, uh, that prodigy story. And right. that was the bulk of uh, the book in addition to those snippets that I mentioned earlier about... Uh, you know, different things happening in uh, the Hellfire Gala that are touched upon uh, over the course of that evening. And speaking of it, one in particular that that, that I think we talked about before we can move on was the sh- the whole when did Shatterstar get there? Because I think sh- uh, this was also like you said, you're not keeping up with X Factor. That's when that stuff happened with him. Because uh, they kind of even they kind of even mentioned that in this issue, but like I said, if you weren't uh, already, um, um, yeah, but yeah, like all this business with the Morgan and Siren, yes, I was like, exactly. okay, yeah. So that's kind of tied that part up because yeah, so because the last thing we saw him at was he was dealing with that situation, uh, and then he ended up in the um, in the Hellfire Gala. Did we see him walking in? And then of course they give the footnotes to say, hey, here's you know, remember you know see the other perspective of this from uh, in Excalibur and you know X, Y, and Z. So, that being the case, uh, we can move on to the news section. Uh, but first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron, fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And we start off with the cinematic news like we do every week with uh, Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum developing a Smallville animated series. Um, so Smallville star, and I think this is kind of been something that's been teased, uh, was teased before this actually came out, but Smallville star Tom Welling confirmed that he and co-star Michael Rosenbaum, um, are working on an animated continu- continuation of the fan favorite CW series. 
um, quote unquote, Michael Rosenbaum and I are actually working on an animated series to bring those characters back to life and use many of the original cast members as possible. Welling said in a cam- uh, in a cameo message, which makes me think of Cameo the group. I don't know why, um, but and I don't know if Cameo is some other social media thing or not. But whatever. Uh, don't tell anybody though. It's a secret. We're still working on it. But here you go. <laughs> in an article. Next. One second. All right. Uh, three of the Flash's original stars, Jesse L. Martin, Danielle Pennebaker, and Candace Patton, have signed deals to return for season eight. The Flash premiered in 2014 and is set to release its eighth season on November 16th. Uh, so these are the returning characters because a few departures have occurred during the course of season seven. Uh, next up, Madam Xanadu from Justice League Dark, uh, gets her, gets an HBO Max series, apparently. Uh, J.J. Abrams and Angela Robinson are bringing the DC and Justice League Dark sorceress Madam Xanadu, Xanadu, uh, to HBO Max in a new series. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the series will be titled Madam X and is in the early stages of development. Uh, Robinson from oh Professor Marston and the uh, the Wonder Woman, which I need to watch that movie, um, and the L Word will write the script and executive produce the project. Uh, Hollywood Reporter also reports Robinson was recruited by Abrams and his wife Kathy McGrath in an eight-figure overall deal. Uh, Robinson is part of the Times Up Global. We don't need to. Well, Times Up Global Leadership Board with McGrath serving as uh, co-secretary on the board of directors. So, there you go. Next. Next up, so um, the actor behind the Sylvie character in Loki says that her Marvel character is not Lady Loki. Um, You know, we're still not sure who she is. Our understanding is that it's apparently now a new character that is... You know, that has basis in a couple of Marvel Comics characters. Uh, so uh, DiMartino explained the difference between Loki, Sylvie, and Lady Loki in an interview with Variety. Asked how much of her performance was drawn from lead actor Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki, she replied, uh, she looked at his performance, but she tries not to be shaped by it too much. Sylvie has had a very different backstory to Loki. She's a different person, and that was really important to them right from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I'm still thinking she's an enchantress, but may or may not be the Young Avengers version. We that part we still don't know. Um that being said, um actually we probably should have lo- talked about this. Well, we did talk about this, so we don't really have to go into it. But uh Loki's mid-credit scene introduces four new variants and here's who they are. We kind of talked about them when we talked uh, uh, about the end of Loki on the recap. So we don't need to do that. Next. Right. Without going into, you know, they actually were given names. Yes. Actually, in the credits. Yeah, actually, um, and uh, there was something I forgot. To, there is something actually to mention out of here because there was something I, was, uh, I said, but I don't know if it was uh, mentioned again. I mean, something I was mentioning, but the one Viking war looking hammer uh, wielding Thor 
looking Loki, which let's assume that is, is holding a hammer, like I said. But it looks like a uh, a hammer that looks like it's uh, attached to a wrench. I just noticed that because there's a little bit of a close-up of uh, the hammer um, that's being wielded here. So that's interesting. Um, but outside of that, yeah, all of these folks get named uh, in this article. But like I said, we already gave our things on that. Next up. So in news that's actually, you know, well-timed because this is actually coming out very soon. Disney Plus is launching a Loki-themed parody starring Tom Hiddleston that recruits the Simpsons into the MCU. The Good, the Bart, and the Loki premieres Wednesday, July 7th and sees Tom Hiddleston voice Loki, who is banished from Asgard and finds himself in Springfield, home of the Simpsons. The God of Mischief will team up with Bart Simpson uh, in in a show that pays tribute to the MCU. Uh, the key art uh, for the good, the Bart, and the Loki is inspired by the poster for Avengers Endgame. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And I did not know that this was going to be coming out so soon. Right. So there was, uh, notably, there was already another Simpsons short that was more Star Wars inspired that is already on Disney+. Plus. So this is not the first time they've done um, a little bit of corporate synergy um, here. Uh, but yeah, so look out for that July 7th. Next up, though... Um, I was saying thanks to Tim, th- thanks to uh, TimDog98 for uh, doing this quick write-up over at CBR.com. Indeed. Uh, Thor, Love and Thunder will showcase Nebula's pure aggression. So, apparently, uh, Karen Gillan, who plays Nebula in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, said that um, Thor, Love and Thunder would bring out a different side of her character uh, as she was speaking during an interview with Collider. Uh, Gillan explained how director James Gunn and Joe Russo tapped uh, into many different aspects of Nebula's uh, personality during their MCU movies. When it came to Lo- uh, Thor, Love, uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder's Helmer Taika Waititi, Gillen said that he really brought out the bonkers side. I think everyone is just really funny and bonkers and wild in the film, quote unquote. Which you know that seems to have been his style for Ragnarok, so that makes sense. That's going to keep uh, keep pushing. Next up, next up, uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever has started production. Uh, Marvel chief Kevin Feige confirmed that uh, this is so in speaking to Variety ahead of the Black Widow Global Fan Event in L.A. this week. Uh, Feige revealed that Black Panther officially entered production at Atlanta's Pinewood Studios. He kept details mostly under wraps, obviously, though he did promise they're making a movie that the late Chadwick Boseman would be proud of. And... um, the rest of this article basically just goes to uh, recap what we know so far that uh, they're not recasting um, uh, the character of T'Challa and they're moving forward with a story um, about the other characters in Wakanda. Yeah, which we have already reported on. Uh, Reginald Hudlin to direct Black Cotton Star Adaptation. So, Reginald Hudlin, you know him, House Party fame. He's also written Black Panther once upon a time and, and directing all, directed and produced a whole bunch of other stuff. 
Um, he will direct a film adaptation of the graphic novel Black Cotton Star, a World War One saga of black soldiers on a quest across France to find a secret revolutionary war artifact. Uh, according to Deadline, Yves Sente and Steve Kuzor, uh, the writer and artist of the original graphic novel, will serve as executive producers along with Martin J. Uh, Barab and Derek Hughes and Benjamin Robb penning the script. Uh, Hudlin will direct and produce the film for ZQ Entertainment along with uh, some other people. Apparently, this was a graphic novel that was published by Pegasus Books and um, digitally by Europe Comics in the United States. Uh, and apparently, it was first distributed by a French company. So there you go. This would explain partially why we don't, haven't heard of this before. Next. Uh, you are muted, I believe. Oh, sorry about that, folks. I was talking about the boys. The boys, Anthony Starr says fans will freak out over season three. This is the character that this is the actor that portrays Homelander. And he says that season three is his favorite yet and that he that the wait will be worth it for friends for fans to freak out over. Whoop de doo. <laughs> I thought you liked the boys. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it's nothing to freak out over. Come on. That's I a mean, bit of hyperbole. Yes. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Like, he's like, yeah, we get it. You're part of this thing. Like, it's 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 not that serious, but yeah. Like, but you know how they, they got to hype it up. Um, in Transformers news, Ron Perlman to voice Optimal, Optimus Primal in Rise of the Beasts. So, apparently Hellboy, Hellboy is going to be the voice of Optimus Primal. Uh, will he say that's just Prime? And, and we don't know. Uh, but apparently, let's see. Da, 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 da. According to Collider, Perlman will voice the leader of the Maximals in the upcoming film, opposite Peter Cullen's Optimus Prime, uh, of which we already knew Prime was going to be there. Um, oh, now this part I don't remember. I didn't know. Um, Perlman previously voiced Optimus Primal in Transformers Power of the Primes, which. Is that out? Maybe I'm tripping. Um, uh, Transformers Power of the Primes, which I think that's a... I don't know if that's a part of that Netflix thing or not. Is that animated? I want to say it is. Um, But I don't know. I don't... um, Because I know there was supposed to be another one of those Netflix... um, Netflix joints coming. Uh, But I don't think it's out. Uh, see, Transformers Power of the Primes is an internet-based limited animation animated series uh, by some folks in Hasbro. So yeah, so I think this is that that Netflix thing, but I don't I don't think that's out yet. Um, because in that last part that didn't show up, but you know we'll, we'll research that later because it's, it's yeah. Um, but next up. Next up, Fast and Furious 10 is set to start filming in January 2022. Um, Vin Diesel revealed uh, this um, in a 
in an interview with uh, Regal Movies and uh, basically stated that the end is approaching and filming will start relatively soon. He's doing Fast 10 Part 1 and Part 2, the finale of the saga in January. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Um, apparently this Power to Prime thing was on Go90, which I believe is Verizon's, um, uh, streaming service. Okay. And then it was... Oh, this is, oh, this is from 2018. Oh, so this was from, yeah, so 2018, it was on Go90, and Go90 no, no, is no longer in service. Um, and it was on YouTube, so I think I might have actually. No, I don't think I've seen this. Um, but it ended up on YouTube, and it was uh, available on Rooster Teeth's website shortly after that because they have a hand in that. But I don't know if it's a, so it's still out on YouTube or not. Regardless, uh, news: uh, John Wick Four shares first set photo announcing uh, the start of filming. Uh, it's begun, the franchise Twitter account shared, along with a photo of the director's chair ablazoned with the film's logo. Uh, John Wick 4 is now in production. Um, and th- this article goes on to uh, talk about when Ian McShane, uh, Ian McShane had uh, teased the start of production uh, at the beginning of the year with um, talking about a conversation he and uh, Keanu had that I believe we actually talked about then. So... Uh, May 27th, 2022 is what we got to wait for. Next. Next up, so we have some set photos from the Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, being filmed now, which show Michelle Rodriguez's uh, character, uh, some of her costume, actually, and uh, also her massive, I guess, battle axe. I'm going to see if I can pull up uh, the picture. Itself. I love how the the, the, the the image at the top they use is definitely not from the movie. Right. But ultimately, you know, the, the pictures I saw were uh, of her riding around on a scooter, getting from uh, set piece to set piece, and she's wearing um, uh, like a like a, a, a not a tunic, but definitely like uh, uh, you know stuff to meant to uh, cover up her her uh, costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're watching the video version of this, which sometimes hey maybe you might want to, you will see the 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 pictures and the tweets therein. So, yeah. Um, F nine director teases Hobbs and Shaw's return in Fast and Furious Ten. Uh, so F9 is currently gearing up once again to tear up the silver screen. Sees the return of several uh, fan favorite characters, including Harbs and Shaw. Um, we all know who those people are. Uh, but let's see. Harbs and Shaw have not been seen since their own spinoff movie in 2019. I still haven't seen that movie. Uh, here's not great. Uh, but Ben Lynn. Justin Lin, that is, is hoping audiences will see their shiny heads light up the screen uh, once more before the Fast and Furious saga is through. And, uh... Weird. And and will quite possibly be in Fast and Furious 10. Uh, I think that needs to be. 
No, they don't. Uh, but hell, why not? No. In order to in order to in order to wrap, you know, the 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 the, the various story arcs that are still kind of open mm-hmm. in the Fast and Furious, they kind of need to be. Oh, you saying they did need to be? I thought you said they didn't need to be. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, they kind of do. I got you. I got you. Um, yeah, like I said, I haven't seen uh, Fast Eight. I haven't seen eight or nine, so I don't. You at this point know more about that whole situation uh, than I do. But quote unquote, uh, I think that's uh, always been our approach. So many of our conversations have I have uh, is about characters that are not even there, but still are. Obviously, uh, they are living and breathing in this universe. Uh, on this one, when I came back, uh, I was thinking a lot about Hobbs and Shaw and all of the other characters. I think uh, I never think of them as being gone for sure. Uh, you can. I'm just going to say, Justin, uh, Mr. Lin, if you would, you can keep Ja Rule wherever he was. Um, that that other girl, you could probably keep wherever she was. I, whose name is escaping me at this point? Um. 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 Oh shit! She was from in, Too Fast, Too Furious. Yes. Devin Aoki. Yes, Devin Aoki. Yes, you probably keep her wherever she is. Um, there is somebody else. That, oh, bring back Gazelle. Obviously, duh. If she's willing to do it, but you know, cowards. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. It should get Han and Gazelle back together. I'm saying. I'm just saying. Anyway. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Fast Nine at some point soon. We'll see what happens when I do. You'll probably Maybe... catch eight first. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, but I mean, you know, I'm just, just saying. Um, and hopefully, we there will uh, that's going to happen soon, and we will possibly get a treasure edition. Uh, you folks will get a treasure edition out of this show, off of uh, Fast Nine. That being the case, we're going to transition over to the comic book news. Hawkeye gets this classic look in this preview, uh, previous exclusive Funko Pop. So there we go. We got the the um, the, the uh, Funko Pop, which I could have sworn they probably would have made one of these ones before. Weird. Um, but there you go, folks. If you're watching the video, you can see uh, Hawkeye, the purple suit, the the arrow being cocked. Um, there you go. Uh, it is available for pre-order, and you know, so it's, it's priced like a Funko Pop. You know how you know the deal. Next up, next up, the Sylvie character from Loki is actually getting a Marvel Legends figure. Uh, unlike Agent Mobius, who Target.com put up for pre-order as soon as the toy was announced, Sylvie's release plans are still unclear. Um, the first wave of Marvel Legends Disney Plus figures just arrived at retail. Rumors of a second one in the fall uh, continue, and presumably heavy on what-if characters and possibly Loki additions as yet unseen. Okay. So maybe that Peggy Carter that people keep saying they saw in that uh, in the first episode, which I went back and watched to see if that was actually her. Right. I can see what people are saying. Um... Marvel's Avengers adds free Guardians of the Galaxy item. It's just... Eh, it's not that much, I don't think. During e, uh, Square, E3's, uh, it, Square Enix's E3 presentation, the publisher re- revealed the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy video game. We've already talked about that. 
but it looks like they decided to tie that in with Marvel's Avengers uh, by having put a Guardians of the Galaxy nameplate in there uh, that, pe- that players can claim. The offer will last until July 1st, which is today, um, as of this recording, or yesterday, as of when this recording started. Um, so, too late if you missed out on that. Sorry. It's just a nameplate. I'm sure it's no, it wasn't worth that much. Next up. Next up in news that kind of made me chuckle. Yeah. Disney dropped uh, the Slave One name for Boba Fett's ship, which prompted outcry from Star Wars fans and an actor as well. So um, this is from the reveal of a Loki, uh, a Lego that is, mm-hmm. a Lego Star Wars set of um, uh, of what we know as a what we know to be Slave One, and this is coming out of the Mandalorian appearance of uh, Boba Fett, and so. Uh, Star Wars fans apparently got mad when the uh, the Lego set was revealed, and it says it calls uh, it calls the set Boba Fett's starship. And um, let's see, which is the actor? Which actor is the one that got all up in a puff and a puff on this? Uh, let's see here. Oh, the original Boba Fett looks like from from. Wait, not the original. Sorry, not the original. Uh, yeah, I was with Campy because it's Mark right. Anthony Austin who appeared right. uncredited as Fett in the updated version of Star Wars: New Hope. His only acting role uh, says, "My ship will forever be Slave One. Nothing, not even Disney can or will change that. This is the way." He tweeted. Um, yeah, good good work with that one. Yeah, so nobody basically. Um, so here's my thing about this though. One, uh, it's a Lego set. There's, as far as I know, there's nothing saying that Disney was the ones who did this, and not Lego. Mm-hmm. Unless it's in this, unless it's in that uh, the the article from this this um, fan site. And yes, this this news originally came from a fan site. So let's not get that twisted. Um, not saying there's anything bad about fan site news sites. I'm just saying they're 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 fan sites for a reason. Um, but according, yeah, see, according to this thing, it says as directed by Disney in this in this um in this thing. But I don't see anything that says who or why or anything that would. That would say, yeah, this came from X Y Z person from Disney or anything like that. But it is what it is, and people, all, the fans, are always going to be mad about something. Um, speaking of Star Wars, there's a new bounty hunter that's going to uh, wait. Star Wars bounty hunter war gets a new player. Uh, meet Deva Lompop, and this is going to be from War of the Bounty Hunters, Jabba the Hutt number one. Which, by the way, uh, Doctor Afra came out this weekend. I totally forgot to read it. And that is also a, a war of the Bounty Hunters tie-in. But from what I saw, I don't think they were doing anything that's directly doing with anything anyway. So anyway, Marvel Comics' is, um, ongoing Star Wars crossover event, War of the Bounty Hunters, gets its first one-shot next month in the form of Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters. 
uh, Jabba the Hutt number one. This issue is set to introduce Deva Lompop, a new Star Wars character created by writer Justina Ireland and um, artist um, Ivan Coelho. Uh, while Deva Lompop may be new to readers, Marvel explains that the colorful bounty hunter has actually been, quote-unquote, causing trouble in-universe for quite some time now. Uh, Deva is a member of the Shiani, as the Shani, excuse me, not Shiani, just the Shani. Um, an alien race known for their long lifespans. As such, she's been active in the galaxy's underworld since the High Republic era. Um, with that in mind, Deva is not only set to appear in all four War of the Bounty Hunter one-shots, uh, Jabba the Hutt 1, 2, through 4, um, Lom and Zuckus number 1, Bausch number 1, and IG-88 number 1, Oh, excuse me, not one through four, but um, it's four long, not one through four. But also star in an upcoming High Republic set stories. So look forward to seeing this character again. Uh, Jabba the Hutt number one is slated to hit comic shops July 2021. And then the rest of the article kind of goes into what that's about. Next. Next up. Uh... What am I on? Rob Liefeld? Yep. Great! Rob Liefeld and X-Force reunite for the 30th anniversary of the creation of X-Force. Liefeld will write and draw X-Force Killshot, an adventure involving fan-favorite character Cable. Liefeld said X-Force was a huge gamble that paid off big for Marvel, paid off big for retailers, and it changed his life forever. Um... In the 30th anniversary special, Cable leads five X-Force strike teams pulled from time and space to go after Strife at his base, Asteroid S. All right, let's see when this is coming out. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. On sale in November. Cool. Uh, X Factor goes out in style with X Factor number ten, the season finale. We've already talked series finale. We have already talked about that, so that was just in case we did not. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and well, actually, you know what? We talked about the next thing also. Uh, mm-hmm. So in order to keep that from being too totally spoiled, even though it already has already in a couple of different places and well before now, we'll let that be a surprise to anybody who hasn't been spoiled about it. But yeah, somebody gets killed at the end of uh, X Factor number 10. Someone you, you may know if you spent any time around the Marvel universe. Um, so you can take that, that way of X one. All right. So kind of in the vein of what I was talking about before way of X was not, uh, what uh, was not presented to us as a limited series, but it is reaching a finale and it's going to arrive in X-Men The Onslaught Revelation. So um, this is a one-shot that is, um, that, that, that is in the, uh, the latest previews um, and that is going to go on sale this September. And, uh, you know, this is something that I had been uh, telling Roddy Cat about that uh, this particular uh, 90s character was coming back in the pages of Way of X and it's been te- it'd been teased as of the first issue of it. So um, apparently while this brings Way of X to a close, it's not exactly the end of uh, the story. So Cy Spurrier still has some stuff um, 
to you know still have still have some plans to build on. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, next up, Marvel is about to introduce Galactus's mother in the Defenders. Uh, so Al Ewing uh, continues his year-long exploration of Galactus as a character, with the Defenders traveling to Galactus's home di- uh, dimension, where they meet the Devourer's mom. According to this article, uh, it all takes place in Defenders number two by Ewing and uh, artist Javier Rodriguez. As the creative team on this miniseries helps to expand Marvel's cosmos a little bit more. Excuse me. As we first learned of um, Galactus's home dimension, all the way back in Supervillains Classic Galactus: uh, The Origin Number One, back in 1983, which is a variation of 1969's Thor 168-169, with Galactus's home world being revealed to be a home dimension. Uh, now we get to learn even more about it and Galen's uh, relatives. Uh, and this goes into the fact that uh, Al Ewing wrote uh, Galactus and changed him, I think, for the better in the Ultimates uh, a couple of years back. Um, and it goes on from there. And apparently there's another article out there about um, uh, from Bleeding Cool about um, Ewing's sexual orientation. I don't know what brought that up, but there you go. That's the thing. Um, next up. A new Marvel Phoenix gets her own comic book series ahead of her MCU debut. So Marvel's new Phoenix, Echo, was going to be starring in her first solo series this fall. Award-winning prose novelist Rebecca Roanhorse and artist Luca Maresca are working on Phoenix song Echo, a five-issue series to debut this October. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. And probably, yeah, probably makes sense and inevitable. You know, you know, take the time to to kind of put her in this, into this and not do much else with her outside of what you got going on in Avengers. Seems seems missing an opportunity. Uh, let's see. Captain America officially uh, names Marvel's most dangerous threats. So this is from Captain America Annual Number One. I don't remember if you talked about this uh, last week. I mean, I remember you talking about this particular book. I don't remember if you're talking about this. So apparently Nick Fury and I guess... Oh yeah, so this is from the backup story. Uh, right. That, the setup, uh, exactly. The the main setup for uh, Infinite Destinies. Right. So let's see, Nick Fury Jr. answers uh, Captain America's call for help in Texas. And then they're going on. And then um, Steve kind of runs down some names, I guess they, or they, I guess they, along with Maria Hill is briefed on the index of the most dangerous, uh, threats in the Marvel universe. A couple of which we kind of know. And one of them I thought was off the board for according to what this looks like, but, um, sure to know who those at go read the story next. Marvel She-Hulk enters the Red Room to become the Winter Hulk this fall. Okay. So this is this definitely is a twist in this story that we did not foresee at all. Um, because uh, in Avengers number 40 in September, 
It's introducing the Winter Hulk, a new identity of She-Hulk, after she is taken captive by Red Guardian and the Winter Guard. So this is spoilers for some of the stuff that's been happening or that's about to happen in the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers. This is fall. This is coming directly on the fallout of the Phoenix story in which uh, uh, the She-Hulk was one of the candidates to take on the, the Phoenix Force. And uh, she she um, wreaked some havoc during the course of that uh, in Russia uh, as a result of having a portion of the Phoenix Force during those uh, dur- during that contest. I think this is a better suit than her current Hulk suit, or lack thereof. But yeah, we'll see what happens when we get there. Uh, Marvel delays massive Loki omnibus until the fall. Um. The reason being is... We don't know. Oh, wait. Uh, Marvel Comics has uh, informed retailers that a ginormous 1,008-page Loki Omnibus Hardcore um, originally planned to come out uh, July 28th has now been postponed back to September 1st uh, for comic stores with a Mark Brooks cover, which I think he's been showing that lately, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh... September 14th for bookstores with a Jack Kirby, Vince Coletta cover. Um, the publisher didn't give a reason for this delay, so yeah, we don't know. But the date change moves the $125 collection from coming out two weeks after Loki's season one finale to nearly two months after. They were probably trying to get it together in a hurry and <laughs> and couldn't, I guess. Um, so there you go, folks. If you're looking forward to that... Um, got a couple more months to save up for it next marvel has announced the partnership with orbis blockchain technologies limited a digital collectibles company that operates the is it vive or vv um i guess it's vv i'm not sure the vv digital collectibles app to launch an official collection of Marvel NFTs on the app. Those are non-fungible tokens. Dan Buckley, the president of Marvel Entertainment, announced since the beginning, collecting has always gone hand-in-hand with being a Marvel fan. Like us, VV understands collecting is about the experience just as much as the product, and we look forward to extending that experience for our fans over the years to come. NFTs are cryptocurrency where each piece accompanies artwork or a video clip. Therefore, in effect, you are purchasing an original work of art by an artist that is simply a digital artwork rather than a physical drawing. Okay. Yeah, the whole NFT situation is really weird to me. Um, Marvel fan creates a Captain America shield that bounces back, apparently. Um, So, Marvel fan and engineer Jake Laser, aka Jay Laser Video on YouTube, explained the creation of his realistic Captain Captain America shield. Uh, Laser explains that he was able to create a functional version of the shield by making the base out of carbon fiber with a fiberglass ring that allows it to uh, bounce off surfaces while still maintaining full surfaces, full strength, excuse me. Uh, He connects the shield to a magnetic wrist attachment, which gives him the ability to throw the shield overhand, just like Captain America. And there's a video uh, that you can see in this article that shows that. So if you are interested in that, like maybe possibly uh, one agent underscore 70 might possibly be, (laughs) you can go check that out for yourselves. I watched it. It was meh. 
Really? But, you know, it, it definitely did perform as advertised. Right. The, the engineering that he used in this was definitely much more in line with what we would think or at least what, how you know it behaved the way we thought it should that we the way we think it should right yeah yeah so that's cool i mean a for effort you know and i, I haven't watched it so i don't know and yeah as uh as this right here in the chat says from, from that last story nfts aka scams yeah i'm, I'm kind of in agreement with that <laughs> um but yeah, nevertheless, it's still a cool thing that happens. Like as a, as a bouncing cap shield, you know, regardless of what it's made out of and, and how it does, if it's, if it's getting anywhere close to that, that's pretty cool. You know, um, the final was, product isn't you know it actually performs to a you know to a, to a, to a real extent, right? Much like you know, much like a a, a bouncing shield would. So you know, I, I would actually recommend just taking a look at that and then seeing, uh, you know, what other attempts at this have, have produced. And it was, uh, you know, it, it's far and away probably the most accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, not in terms of the build, but in terms of how it would act. Right. So next up, um, yeah. I got this. Imp- I got this on publishing okay. Warren Ellis comic after Outcry. So Image Comics says it no longer plans on publishing a comic from Warren Ellis, the writer who 11 months ago was accused of using his success to coerce women into romantic and sexual relationships. The project, a continuation of his mid-2000 series, fell with artist Ben Templesmith, was revealed earlier this week to be returning the news sparked a backlash within the industry and now after initially saying it would carry on with the comic image is pulling back so uh this week's fell announcement was neither planned nor vetted and was in fact premature the statement from image re- reads while finishing warren ellis and ben temple smith's fell is something we've been looking forward to for years image comics will not be working with warren on anything further until he has made amends to the satisfaction of all involved uh, on Monday, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I thought he, uh, yeah, I was about to say, uh, uh, at some point, uh, Ellis reached out to this group to try to, uh, undergo, uh, arbitration or something to try to come to some sort of, uh, mediated result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure, but it, it is still an ongoing. Well, it's still it is what it is. But put it that way, right? Um, and yeah, as Ray says, Ray says in chat, paying for the receipt of an item, but don't you? But you don't actually get. It's kind of like DLC, like I said in the chat, or some sort of. But at least you get something for DLC, even though it's virtual. Or how people thought of certain things in the beginning of this whole thing. Um, yeah, NFTs are weird. Anyway, uh, Black Hammer Reborn is coming from Sweet Tooth creator Jeff Lemire. So Dark Horse Comics has uh, announced that superstar writer Jeff Lemire will return to the world of Black Hammer with the upcoming Black Hammer Reborn. The publisher shared a tweet promoting the upcoming series... Uh, writing return to Black Hammer hashtag uh, Black Hammer 
the Eisner Award-winning superhero saga is black in and Black Hammer Reborn picking up 20 years after we last saw our heroes uh, again it will be written by Lemire with art by Caitlin Yarsky coloring by Dave Stewart and lettering by Nate uh, Pieskos um, Yarsky will also draw the cover for the first issue with a variant by Lemire and uh, you can see the tweet from Dark Horse Comics uh, right there if you're watching the video version of this program I don't know much about Black Hammer, so I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Um, next up. Sweet Tooth creator Jeff Lemire is releasing his next comic, the five-part Maze book series, uh, and it's going to debut this fall via Dark Horse Comics. Um, the five-book Maze book series will explore the concepts of grief and family through the eyes of a lonely building inspector, who is still grieving the loss of his daughter. That's sad. Yeah. It's uh, about the upcoming release of May's book comes just days after the second chapter of Lemire and Jock's 10-part Snow Angels limited series debuted on June 22nd. Um, okay. Yeah. So if you like May's books, there you go, regardless if you know about the story or not. Um, DC's new Aquaman leads the Justice League on a deadly apocalypse mention, uh, mission. And I believe this is coming from that Aquaman the Becoming, which is uh, when Jackson Hyde becomes Aquaman after being uh, Aqualad. So, let's see. Um, providing, a, yeah, providing a recap of Jackson's backstory and several images from the six-issue limited uh, miniseries, DC Comics unveiled a number of details that uh, answer a few questions but raise even more about what the Justice League will be facing when the first issue of the series is released in September. Uh, depicting a legion of parademons in pursuit of the latest iteration of Aqualad, uh, the spectacular imagery from Diego Orlatequa uh, Wade Von Graubauer's Badger and Adriano Lucas seems to confirm that a mission to Apocalypse is in the cards. Uh, you can see some imagery from it right there if you're watching the video from it. And of course we know, like, like I said, uh, Aquaman the Becoming is what I said earlier. Next. DC Artist shares Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy's original first canon in-continuity kiss from 2017's Harley Quinn number 25. Harley Quinn artist Chad Harden uh, shared the original unedited version of Harley and Poison Ivy's first in-continuity kiss, revealing that the moment underwent a small but very significant change prior to its publication. Um... In the issue... That was published. Uh, hold on, let's see here. All right, so Harden's uncolored art reveals that originally Ivy was supposed to kiss Harley on the lips. This was presumably presumably changed at the behest of editorial. Um, strangely enough, however, while the type of kiss was changed to a kiss on the cheek. Um, the risque placement of Ivy's left hand was left completely intact. Okay. Yeah. Ivy's up there palm in the booty like she should. Um, and 
yeah, as you can see from the, if you're watching the video, you can see the difference from the DC tweet, uh, and Chad Hartman's tweet. It's a slight difference, but it's a difference nonetheless, uh, of where the lips are being placed. So, yeah, that's sad that they, that they do that. That's weird also, but it's weird to people who have sense. Um, DC announces Green Arrow middle grade uh, original graphic novel. DC Comics has announced uh, Green Arrow Stranded, a new original graphic novel for middle grade readers from uh, writer Brendan Deneen and artist Belle um, Hasala. Stranded focuses on a 13-year-old Oliver Queen who has, quote-unquote, always hated the idea of hunting, but is roped into a hunting trip by his father, who insisted to go on this trip uh, with his business partner, Sebastian, and his son, Tyler. Um, Ali soon comes face-to-face with some teasing and doubts about whether his father will ever feel pride in him again after he fails to take the perfect shot. And uh, it kind of... Stop me if you heard this one. Uh, things take a turn for the worse it, when their private jet crash landed on crash lands on a deserted island after being hit by lightning, and then it goes from there. Uh, this is going to be out on March first, twenty twenty-two, preceding both previously announced Green Lantern Alliance and Shazam Thundercracker original graphic novels, which were respectively released on April fifth, twenty twenty-two, and June seventh, twenty twenty-two. So there you go. Next, last but not least. Next, next and last. DC's Green Arrow tribute to Denny O'Neill is now free to read. Tap, 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 which tells the story of Denny O'Neill's life from a little boy to a comic book industry icon is now available to read for free. This will, uh, it's published, was it was in this week's Green Arrow 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular, right? Right. And it's, it's available also, to read for free on the DC Comics website. Right. Which I, I mentioned that earlier, but, you know. It's just, yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a, just check it out. If Huh? What you saying? Oh, I said you should you should definitely check it out. I mean, this is free, so you're going to... Because it's a nicely done story. Because um, the only words that are in that, um, that show up in it are the words tap, tap, tap. So, so he's pretty much onomatopoeia. That's not true, but... But check it out either way. Like I said, it's a it's a nice tribute um, uh, to a past uh, comic legend. And that, folks, is the end of the show. Uh, and as we do at the end of the show, before we actually sign off, one last ad. Our last ad read of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosé to cabernet to total day. Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Ever try an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through CSPN. Do it today. 
And as we come to another exciting ep- to the end of another exciting episode of the Combo Chronicles, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for coming out. I'd like to thank the folks who've been in the chat live with us. We appreciate you for being here, whether you uh, were in YouTube chat or in Twitch's chat. Um, shout out to the people that I know and know said chat uh, and all that kind of good mess. This has been the Cumber Chronicles. I have been uh, Ryder Cat, and you can find me at Ryder Cats on Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Uh, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, BPCN underscore Dirt on Twitter. Pop Culture Net on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com and all those umbrella sites therein. And probably uh, Byte under Comic Reviews No Vowels. Tim D-O-G-G-9-8 uh, on Twitter, the Osiris is ish uh, CB Cron also on Twitter, that is the Combo Chronicles uh, Twitter account also the Click Nation, that's V-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N all one word on Twitter uh, theclicknation.com and also um, um, he's over at Resources at cbr.com writing his face off Go get that man some clicks uh, and read the stuff actually because he's, he's, he's doing some good stuff over there. And I'm not saying that because we know that because he actually is. Um, you can also find this here podcast on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Cole Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Uh, you can also find us recording live every Thursday night except for next week which I get into in a second um, or possibly next week we don't know but um, Thursday night 9.30ish p.m. on either uh, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation or and or twitch.tv slash chronicles you can go to either one because it's simultaneous recording um, and of course the audio comes out a couple of days later on CSPN.us as you said um, so next week's show like I said at the beginning of the show is going to be different because we either not going to have a recording on Thursday night or I might do a quick news show um, because Age of 70 is, we're, is, um, is uh, enacting uh, movie protocols going to see Black Widow I'm probably not going to see it by that time. So, like I said, either there's either not going to be a show on Thursday, and it'll probably be a show on, like, say, Friday or something like that, or we will let you know come closer to the time. Exactly. Just stay attuned to our social media outlets, you know, our, our social media profiles, and uh, we'll let you know. Absolutely. And with that, folks, this has been the Cumber Chronicles. Uh, peace. Peace. One. I love it when a plan comes together. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it? it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your